When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Busy show for us this morning. Formula One will take centre stage uh, around 2 o'clock uh, on Sunday morning as uh, uh, Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen go head to head in the great uh, finish of this Formula One season. And uh, to talk about that will be uh, Matt Koch, uh, a Formula One expert, just uh, after the sermon. George Berry. Uh, former journalist, of course, but expert too on uh, the NBA and the Breakers. Uh, when uh, some basketball talk just uh, after 9.30. Uh, the great man, the great man who had the great deed last week, Ajaz Patel, uh, just after 10 o'clock this morning. Lavina Good and Jordan Oppert, an all-female panel this morning. Looking forward to that. Uh, Louis Herman Watt, uh, supposedly, supposedly we're hearing, um, but we're not banking on that. We're not banking on Louis to be available this morning. Certainly we'll be uh, talking to someone uh, regarding um, the thoroughbred ra- racing this weekend. And, of course, we'll go to the TAB. Nick Holt from The Telegraph, the era cricket writer, uh, on what happened yesterday and where does EC England at the moment, uh, if anywhere but in trouble, and uh, Mick Guerin. Mick Guerin uh, at uh, quarter to 12 uh, this morning as we head through to Staffy. And then, of course, uh, he'll take you through the afternoon. So a really, really busy morning. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, in Olympic years, it's been historically hard to see past those glorious gold medal winners when it comes to the Halberg Awards, and rightly so. To be the best on show, on the biggest stage, at the right time, cannot be surpassed. And that will likely be the case too when our 2021 achievers are acknowledged early next year. There may be, for a change, uh, the odd cricketer or team in the mix just to spice things up a little, maybe even a motocross queen. But it will be the Tokyo standouts to the fore. There will not, however, be a category for the real heroes. The ones who, not by choice, and that's the key here, can ever sleep in their own beds, have a home-cooked meal, mix it all with their home-based friends and family, and can never put their skills on show on their own patch. These hardy men and women won't even get a highly commended ribbon. You know the ones, uh, those guys and girls who fly our flag across the Tasman week after week, giving us something Kiwi-fied to watch and support, regardless of how they are feeling inside. So in no particular order to the Breakers, the Warriors, the Phoenix men and women, regardless of the result of the points table, the top eight or the bottom four, you deserve the plaudits. You and your multitude of support staff who continue to do us proud. No permanent base, no quarantine privileges, bugger all whinging and moaning, and readily approachable win, lose or draw. So to you lot, from our lot, thank you. Have a great Christmas if you can. And if there is a you-know-what up there, let him or her permit you to be granted the right to play at home next year on your own stage in front of your own fans 
and have some of those home-based pleasures come your way. Let's hope you can kick this old virus and those who use it as a reason to take your stage away from you, fair up the jacksy. In other words, have a good one. Well, sorry, Aussie and England cricket fans, but the biggest sporting event on the planet this weekend happens at 2am on Monday, New Zealand time, in Abu Dhabi. It's the final race of the Formula 1 season where Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen are tied on points, and whoever finishes in front of the other will claim the title. Now, to talk us through this, uh, uh, this amazing, amazing battle between these two is award-winning Formula 1 journalist Matt Koch from Speed Cafe. Dot com. Uh, good morning to you, Matt. Thanks very much for your time. If you scripted this, I take my hat off to you, sir. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a massive weekend. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. It's uh, yeah, you're right. Formula One is the the biggest ticket uh, on the planet this weekend. It's, it's going to be massive. It is. I mean, it's not since 1974, Matt. Uh, two drivers headed into the last race on equal points. Uh, Emerson Fittipaldi, Clay Regazzoni, back uh, way back then. Uh, Fittipaldi coming out on top by virtue of finishing fourth. Uh, we've got a, a pretty similar scenario here, and it, it's staggering how Hamilton's come back at him. Yeah, you're right. It's It's been a long time in the making. We've seen some last race finales over the years, but never, as you say, since in the 1970s, tied on points with Hamilton and Verstappen. After 21 of the 22 races thus far, Hamilton overcame a 32-point deficit at points to to recover the championship lead and then last weekend in, in Saudi Arabia the way events unfolded there we're now even Stevens uh, it ends level on points Max Verstappen is world champion the first time a Dutchman has ever been world champion in uh, in the sports history Lewis Hamilton should he basically finish ahead of Max Verstappen it's that simple for him he'll win his record 8th world championship at the moment he's tied with Michael Schumacher for 7 he then moves to be the, uh, the clear uh, number one in that respect. But uh, yeah, pretty much if, if Lewis Hamilton finishes eighth or better and Max Verstappen is behind him, he's world champion. It's a little bit more complicated if he finishes in ninth and Max Verstappen's tenth. But uh, yeah, it's pretty much that simple. He who finishes first is world champion. It is an incredible scenario when you look at it. And of course, as is the case with Formula One, there's quite a lot being said uh, off the track before the event. Uh, overnight, we're hearing Max Verstappen claiming he's treated differently to other drivers by the officials. Yeah, and this is a little bit of a narrative that's been going on for a few races now. If you think back to the Sao Paulo Grand Prix, Lewis Hamilton had a bit of a shocker with officials there. He got excluded from qualifying and all sorts of things thrown at him that weekend. But what it did was spark one of the drivers of his career, arguably. He basically came from the back of the grid to win that race. Max Verstappen, he got the, the book thrown at him in Saudi Arabia a week ago. Uh, he was penalised twice for a net total of 15 seconds. Uh, and he argued that, well, some of the stuff that I did, others were doing, and they didn't get a penalty. So, well, you're treating me differently. Um, it is a complicated matter when it comes to getting to how the stewards work and all that sort of stuff. But fundamentally, they've got a playbook. It's no different to uh, you know to, to football or cricket or whatever. There's, there's an umpire there. Mm and they get the final say. Max might feel he's hard done by, but you, know, you might win some, you might lose some, it'll all wash out. They're using this narrative of the stewards to almost 
make themselves an underdog. Uh, for whatever reason, that works really well for Lewis Hamilton, as we saw in Brazil. So you get the feeling that Max is trying to steal that position away from Lewis so that he can't use that as his own platform this weekend to set himself up mentally. It's interesting also that um, race director, uh, FIA race director Michael Massey has, has warned drivers that they'll take points off for unsportsmanlike behaviour. So is that a warning to Verstappen? Because if he and Hamilton do crash out, Verstappen wins the title because uh, he's won more races this year by virtue of that, of course. So is that, is that a general warning uh, A general warning aimed really at those two? Yeah, absolutely. There, there is no other reason for that note to be included. So the, the FIA race director, Michael Massey, sends notes out to teams before every event, and there's a number of points, and they're usually talking about circuit-specific stuff. Very rarely, and never previously this year, has there been these notes about the International Sporting Code, which is a set of rules that sits above the normal sporting rules. It's basically a code of conduct um, as to what is and is not acceptable, and it gives the, the governing body some powers to take points off or exclude drivers, all sorts of things, which has been exercised in the past. If you think back to 2007 with, uh, with McLaren getting thrown out of the championship, that's how that was done. So there is precedent there, but this is absolutely squared at, uh, at Max Verstappen for his antics in Saudi Arabia, which the brake test situation there on that 37, that absolutely crossed the line. That's, that's dangerous. Um, you, know, you can get cars launching up in the air, being parked on top of one another, not that we haven't seen that this year. Um, yeah, so that's absolutely squared at those two to try and cover off you know, things like we saw with Senna and Prost back in the early 90s and late mm. 1980s uh, where we had two championships decided by crashes. Uh, so we're just trying to cover that off uh, and get ahead of the game. But <laughs> who knows, Max is, uh, Max is pretty hell-bent on, on winning this championship. Matt, where does this rivalry rate for you then? You mentioned Prost and Senna. Um, maybe Mansell and PK come to mind, Schumacher and, and Harkonnen. Uh, where does this, is it still too new or is it as genuine as some of those? It's genuinely, I think, up there with Senna and Prost. Those who are too young to remember that championship battle, just look at what's happening now because you've got it playing out in front of you. And the difference now is that we've got so much more access. The information is so much more immediate that we're able to see far more closely the way the, the two are in, interacting. Uh, Schumacher and Hackenden, there was rivalry there, but there was far more respect. Um, Hill and Schumacher, you know, this, the two were sort of on a different level. But, uh, yeah, in this instance, Lewis and Max, they just downright don't like each other. It, it is very much like Senna and Prost. The difference is that they're in different teams where Senna and Prost were in the same team originally. But, uh, yeah, this is probably the most ferocious driver duel that I can think of in Formula 1 history. This will uh, all play out on uh, the Yas Marina circuit, uh, as we say, 2 o'clock uh, Monday morning New Zealand time. Um, tell us a wee bit about this track. Who, who should it suit uh, on any given day? Well, this is a million-dollar question, and if anyone answer, out there has the answer, please let me know so I can put a bet on or something, because on paper, the circuit should suit Mercedes, but last year, Max Verstappen won. The complication this year is that there's been a couple of changes to the circuit, so I've tweaked what they're helping onto the uh, the back straight, and then there's now a sweeper that comes off of that uh, that back straight complex. So the, the track itself is a little bit of an unknown. Fundamentally, 
you would look at it and you'd say it's Mercedes country. Since 2014, they've won seven races there. Max Verstappen was the first time in the current era that Mercedes hasn't won there. So you'd have to say Mercedes, also given that Lewis Hamilton has the momentum that he's got, he's won the last three races. So he's got good momentum. The team's got good confidence. He's saying the right things. He's not engaging. The track seems to see Mercedes. So you'd have to look at all of those pieces and say, on paper, Lewis and Mercedes seem to have the upper hand. Okay. Well, okay, then, if that's the case, uh, what about team tactics here? You've got uh, Sergio Perez for Red Bull, Valtteri Bottas for uh, Mercedes. What what role, if any, will they have uh, in this weekend's finale? Their role is more of a spoiler come Sunday. Obviously, Valtteri Bottas is after a little bit of personal glory. It's his final race after five years with Mercedes. He'd like to go out on a high. But their role, realistically, is to spoil and support their uh, their respective team leaders. So Valtteri Bottas will be trying to stay somewhere in connection with Lewis and Max at the front of the race and just try and sit within 15 or 20 seconds of Max Verstappen because by doing that, and Sergio Perez will be trying to do the same thing with, with Lewis Hampton, by doing that, it really limits their rivals' opportunities to make strategic calls. You then can't get undercut, overcut, you know, they can't play the strategic game as easily. The complication is Valtteri Bottas has won in the Asmarina for Mercedes. He's got um, he's got track record and pedigree there. Sergio Perez has been a little bit more inconsistent in what's his first year with uh, with Red Bull. He's come on a little bit better in, in recent races, but his form going into each and every event until we sort of get through practice is is still unknown. So. Valtteri Bottas looks as though he could play a key role in just getting in front of Max Verstappen at a key point in the race and slowing his pace mm. and allowing Lewis Hamilton an opportunity to gain some time and track advantage. That's the role that, that Perez and Bottas are going to play. I just can't see them doing anything else because Max and, and Lewis in recent races have just been on, a, on such another level that pace-wise they're, they're almost untouchable. Okay, so um, Matt, how, how important then will qualifying be? It is absolutely crucial. Yes, Marina has historically been almost impossible to pass. Uh, in 2010, we saw a four-way fight for the championship there, which Sebastian Vettel ultimately won, purely because he qualified better than his rivals. Um, they did a little bit of cleverness through, through strategy as well, did Red Bull, but basically through track position and a better qualifying, uh, he was successful that year. The changes to the track do make it slightly less important in theory because it should be easy to overtake, but it's still expected to be very difficult. So, yes, Saturday is going to be crucial if you don't get a good grid spot or if you happen to be a couple of grid rows back from your title rival, you've got it all ahead of you for Sunday. And, and that could be the decisive moment in this year's World Championship, which seems bizarre to say one moment, one lap in a 22-race mm. calendar and it comes down to, to that moment. That's how close this is. Do you have a preference of who you'd like to win? I mean, for instance, say uh, Hamilton does win, he goes past Schumacher. Some people say that uh, in a way. I've read a few articles. There's some drivers, fellow drivers, have said that be quite sad in a way because they'll always regard uh, Schumacher as the goat. Yeah, so this is put to, to Sebastian Vettel overnight. You know, do you want to see? 
Michael's record broken, or would you rather see someone from your former team win win the championship? If I'm honest, I don't have a preference. Um, I probably wouldn't be a great journalist if I did. If I'm honest, but um, you know, if we step back and, and think about it, Lewis Hamilton winning an eight-four championship is an extraordinary accomplishment. You know, in our lifetimes, we've seen Michael Schumacher win seven, which no one ever thought would get past one more more Banjo's record of five. Michael did it with seven, and not too long afterwards, we're seeing this guy come along and knock off eight, which is just absolutely mind-blowing. But then we've got this young kid coming in, and he's still brash, he's still aggressive, he's still very raw, and he's taking it to this established superstar. You know, Lewis, whatever you might think of him, is one of the greatest drivers, if not the greatest driver Formula One has ever seen. We are witnessing greatness right now. We are very, very fortunate to be doing so. So it, I, I'm torn. I, I want to see greatness succeed, but at the same time, I want to see greatness challenged because it sets us up for the next iteration of Formula One. Once Lewis does step away in a couple of years' time, we've then got these established superstars to just step straight into the breach. Um, so I don't have a preference. I'm just looking forward to a, a, a clean race uh, and how Lewis Hamilton deals with that pressure and how Max Verstappen tries everything he can to do what no Dutchman has done before. Looks incredible. Uh, very, very spicy and very intriguing, actually. Hey, Matt, so, thanks so much for making yourself available and, and making us more informed, more enlightened about the whole thing. Can't wait for 2 o'clock Monday morning. I'm, I'm sure you can a little bit earlier uh, where you are, of course, a slightly kinder hour, but um, enjoy it. Enjoy that, uh, the climax to the season. should be great. Yeah, thank you. It's going to be brilliant. Yep. Matt Koch there, folks. Uh, he is uh, a fantastic Formula One journalist. Uh, and uh, he, of course, is from speedcafe.com. If you ever want to get onto that website and have a look, you will be very well informed, I assure you. It is 9.20 here on SENZ. So, uh, yeah, what about um, your team of the year? If you were doing the Halbergs tomorrow, who would your team of the year be? Uh, who would your individual performer of the year be, your supreme winner? Uh, just uh, give us an idea. That would be fantastic. Uh, come in on double eight, double three. think about it, and uh, just make your call. Uh, I know it's not going to be decided Halberg-wise, but um, the year in sport is uh, fast coming to an end for us, and uh, perhaps we could make a, a decision or two between us this morning. That would be great. Double eight, double three. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, 9.25 here on SENZ. Uh, give us some thought and uh, give us a text on double eight, double three, uh, who you think is uh, our best-performed team of the year. Uh, and our best-performed individual, uh, athlete, uh, cricketer, rugby player, etc., of the year, golfer, uh, for that matter. So uh, give it some thought, and uh, uh, we'll just see what your uh, the consensus is as we make our way through the morning. Would you put the Black Caps in there? Uh, the women's uh, seven team, sevens team, of course, any one of those wonderful teams like the eights uh, at, the, at the rowing. Uh, look, it's just been a, a fantastic year for a lot of people, but a, a deprived year for a lot of others. Uh, who have uh, not been able to apply their trade overseas, have had to stay home or have had to stay overseas because they are applying their trade, trade overseas. Uh, news coming through um, on rugby circles. Um, uh, significant signing, is it John Day? Joe Moody, another senior all-black Crusaders and Canterbury prop, uh, has uh, become the latest player to extend his contract uh, in New Zealand, re-signing with New Zealand rugby through to 2024. Um, this is an interesting one for me. He's, uh, what, he's played his 50th test. Uh, last year against Argentina, he's currently sitting on 57 test matches, 49 of those he started. So 
Now, how significant is that? Uh, bearing in mind, um, we, we all uh, know, or we all hear, that front row is a massive issue with uh, the All Blacks, the propping department. Yeah, and I, I think it's big for one, Smithy, because there's not a lot of depth in that position at loosehead prop. Um, Joe Moody, a fit-firing, aggressive Joe Moody, is sensational and he's world-class, but he's been hampered a little bit by injuries, I think, in recent times. Um, it was suspension for him for a little while uh, for his no-arms tackles, but he got over that and then started to get injured. So I just wonder, you know, we saw the best of him, I think, at you know, the 2015 World Cup when he came in late as a replacement. Then at 2019, he was pretty good. But one of those guys in the engine room, Smithy, that we're starting to look at and going, geez, are your best days behind you? So I think a, a significant signing in terms that we don't have a lot of depth in that position. But is it another guy that we're carrying to a World Cup who's maybe best days are behind him like Sam Whitelock and other guys in the engine room, Dane Coles, etc.? Mm, it is an interesting one uh, in that regard. Uh, because uh, I don't think they answer too many questions in terms of, of the front row uh, on that northern tour. I think that's still one of the, the problem areas, ball-carrying props, you know, with skills all around the park. I mean, uh, and there's no doubt that he's a good scrummager, absolutely no doubt about that. But if you only have half a dozen scrums per game, um, particularly towards, uh, you know, the, the end of the game when you want mobility, etc., and you're not getting it out of your props, you want... You know, ball carriers that are going to break the advantage line, they're going to hit those rucks, etc. Uh, that seemed to be one area that they were drastically missing on. So uh, the re-signing of, of Joe Moody, I guess, gives them a base anyway. It gives them uh, the knowledge that if they need that number one jersey filled, uh, he can do it for them. Yeah, he's the cornerstone of that pack as it is at the moment, but I wouldn't mind, like, Ethan DeGroote's exciting. I think an exciting young prospect, but is he going to challenge for that number one jersey in two years' time? I'd like to see some competition for spots because I think it brings out the best in people. Just look at Bowden Barrett um, this year, returning to the number 10 jersey, and I think we got the best out of him rather than him being in the 15 jersey. So wouldn't mind seeing some other loose head props challenge Joe Moody because I think it might be there for the taking. Mm, interesting. We spoke to Aniko Porteous yesterday, of course. Uh, well, he turned out to be the top qualifier for the first uh, World Cup event, top qualifier. Um, he's topped his uh, qualifying heat yesterday uh, with the best of the best lining up, the Startgate, the, the Copper Mountain Resort. Only the top five from the top heats, uh, top two heats of, uh, are advancing to the final. Uh, he landed a score of 96 from a possible 100 on his first two runs. So uh, he, was, uh, he was quite fired up quite fired up about it going into it uh, and he actually delivered uh, which was uh, great. Jerry's come in and said the men's rowing eight uh, of the year, team of the year with the upset gold medal. They had to qualify seven weeks, yep just seven weeks before the Olympics then spend two weeks in MIQ before a four week gap to train for the Olympics. That in his mind was the amazing team performance of the year. So Jerry, thank you very much. Uh, others might have differing views so Please come in on 88.33. By all means, it is 9.30 here on SENZ. It's time for Trudy. Mm -hmm. 9.32 here on SENZ. And the basket season is in full swing uh, domestically uh, around uh, the NNBL anyway, for instance. And uh, with plenty happening in the NBA, uh, it's a great time to be talking about it. And it's a pleasure to welcome back uh, onto the show former uh, journalist and uh, basketball enthusiast and very knowledgeable man in uh, his own right, George Berry. Good morning to you, George. And uh, I suppose when we look at uh, last week's result for the Breakers, uh, it wasn't that surprising they lost, but were you disappointed in the margin? 
Yeah, morning, Smithy. Um, yeah, it's it's a bit of an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, they've, they've been a bit stitched up with COVID, and uh, Dan Shamir, their coach, wasn't able to be there. A, a heap of players, and um, yeah, it's it's a shame. It's um, I think it's their largest. Uh, I think it's their largest margin of defeat in an opening game in franchise history, and it's obviously a very decorated franchise, the Breakers, with a lot of history. So I'm sure they wouldn't like to see that um, come into the history books. But, yeah, it's a real shame, isn't it? Um, hopefully tonight it's a rematch against South East Melbourne Phoenix. Um, so it'll be hopefully a game where they can get some redemption. You know, Dan Shamir's back from from uh, having to quarantine, isolate, and they've also got um, some players coming back too. So... It'll be very, very interesting to see. Um, hopefully they can get a bounce back. One will be huge, to not only for the confidence, but just for that momentum, You know, especially being away from New Zealand and being uh, in quite an uncomfortable environment, I'm sure. Um, so, yeah, big big night for the Breakers tonight. Result aside, what do you want to be seeing from the, the Breakers uh, with their head coach on, on the sideline? Just some consistency. I mean, it's it's, it's really hard to to sit here and, and kind of wish for consistency, to be quite honest when I, I say that now. But, I mean, they're in Australia. They're away from the comforts at home. They've done this now. This is the second season in a row. They they fly over there and kind of expect to to put their bags down and play, you know, kind of championship-winning basketball when they've got a, a whole new environment to settle into. You know, they've got players who are imports, you know, flying straight to Australia, players they haven't met until they get there, you know. So it's such an uncomfortable and quite a, a sadly unique way to, to form and some team chemistry and try and form some winning basketball. I just want to see some, for their sake, I just want to see them playing some consistent basketball and, and hopefully that can that can change, you know, and 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 COVID can stay away so they can just get their best players on the floor for them. Okay, so uh, Yanni Wetzel uh, perhaps is, uh, falls into that category, had COVID, but uh, makes his brave uh, deb- debut tonight for the Breakers. What, what do we know about him? Yeah, Yanni Wessel is a really interesting player, Smitty. He he's a, a six foot ten giant, a big a big man. Um, great touch around the rim. You know, look for him in the post tonight, and and look for him uh, pulling down a lot of rebounds. Loves to pull down a lot of rebounds. Um, just a big presence that the Breakers have kind of lacked in the last couple of seasons. You know, you've got the likes of Rob Lowe and stuff, but Rob Lowe like, likes to be shooting the threes and and kind of stretching the floor, whereas you'll find Yanni just kind of and the thick of it, you know, down down in the post. Um, a really big defensive guy. So um yeah, he's a he's a he's a massive presence that has been greatly missed for the breakers and I'm I'm very much looking forward to seeing him suiting up and you know, for his home nation. He he played for South East Melbourne Phoenix last season who they're playing tonight. So I'm sure there'll be a few um a few banterous calls thrown around on his end tonight from his former teammates and stuff. But yeah, it'll be, it'll be really exciting to see him take to the floor and um and hopefully make a big difference for this side. If you look at last week's performance, uh, what did you make of uh, those new imports uh, and, and the combinations around those imports? Uh, how long uh, are we going to have to wait for those to bed in, do you feel? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. how long do we wait is the question, isn't it? I mean, you've got to give them time to find their feet. I mean, they're over here for... They're over in Australia, I should say, for a reason. You know, they get born in as imports for a reason. They can play world-class basketball wherever they go. Um, the likes of Peyton Seaver, who who I, I rate really highly, um, looking to be kind of a floor general for the Breakers. Um, you know, I'm hoping, I'm really hoping to see that, you know, as time goes on, uh, um, you know, the next three, four, five games even on this side of the year before the new year, um, I'm sure that that's what they're kind of hoping for as well, to, to kind of build some consistent patterns there within the team and within the, 
the certain groups that they want to bring out at certain times of the game, I'm sure they want to look to build some sort of um, kind of cemented consistency within the team before the new year. So I'll give it a bit more time, but um, but yeah, it's, it's exciting. There are a lot of imports there, and I, I was looking through the team, and um, of the 14 players, just six are from New Zealand at the moment. I, I think it's kind of the trend that the NBL is going into now. It's becoming quite a global league and very different to the breakers that we that we all loved back in the day, you know, with the decorated championships and the history, you know, behind, you know, Micah Vakona, Dylan Boucher, Kirk Penny, you know, all those legends. It's quite a different league now, and, and the breakers are kind of just adjusting to that. So, um, yeah, imports are going to play a big, a big part in this team, and hopefully they can in a, in a winning way. So if we look at the table, uh, the Perth Wildcats uh, are two from 200%, um, and the Breakers take on Adelaide also on Sunday. Uh, now, the, they, they lost to Perth in the first round, but beat Tasmanian uh, Jack Jumpers uh, last night. What can we expect uh, from the Adelaide matchup? Yeah, it'd be an interesting one. I think it'll be a good matchup for the Breakers. Um, Perth Wildcats are always, are always incredible in the NBL. They just always seem to to bring back their, their best players and have such great um, front office personnel that just seem to get all their players back and, and play championship winning basketball year on year in, year out. Um, Adelaide are, are always a pretty feisty team. I think, I think like I said, it'll be a really good matchup for the Breakers. I think they can take that. And um, they would have, Adelaide would have got confidence out of beating the, the new franchise, the Tasmanian Jack Jumpers. Um, I'm sure you and I can probably think of a better name than that, Smithy, perhaps after this call. But, mm. um, yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I think I think it'll be a good a good chance for the Breakers to um, to really get some confidence behind their backs and hopefully get a W in the in the in the column. Uh, George, let's go to the the NBA now. Um, New Zealand's favourite team, where we adopt the team where Stephen Adams goes. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies are in action against the Lakers this afternoon at two o'clock, and actually they're on a, a decent sort of a run. The Grizzlies and the Lakers, for all their star power, are not. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Grizzlies, you know, 10 days, what a, what a difference, you know, two weeks can make in, in for an NBA team. And it's really, really good to see Stephen Adams actually becoming quite a, a key piece in this in this last run, Smithy. They've, they were last in defense about two weeks ago. They've shot up, I think they're in the top 10 now, and they're fourth in the standings in the West behind the Golden State Warriors, the Phoenix Suns, and Utah Jazz, who are all championship contending teams. They're in front of the Clippers, they're in front of the Lakers, so... This, I think they. I think I can't um, actually confirm what the winning streak was, but it was at least you know five, six, seven games where there was a crazy stat that came out that in that win streak, Smithy, they did not trail a, a game at all. They were in the lead for every game that they won at, at one stage. It was, it was crazy. They were just an absolute tear without their star guard, John Morant, who's been out with a knee injury and now he's out for health and safety protocols with COVID-19, which seems to be quite a a sad trend going on within the league. A lot of players dropping out um, and having to isolate. But, yeah, Stephen Adams is becoming a massive defensive anchor for this team and um, a big one over the Miami Heat that other night. He had 17 points, 16 rebounds. So getting back to his winning ways and being a, just an absolute menace on the glass and getting a lot of rebounds. So very exciting to see. And I, I think it will be a fun matchup tonight with, with LeBron and the Lakers. They're also um, looking to... Kind of get some winning momentum now that LeBron's back, LeBron is back from his false uh, COVID positive test and having to isolate for a couple of days. So, yeah, it'll be a really fun matchup. And I hope for the Grizzlies' sake that they can take it out and um, really continue this momentum. It's, it's exciting to see. You would think the uh, one of the most treasured jobs in basketball would be the head coach of the Lakers with all the, the talent that they have uh, seemed to have on show collectively. Uh, but for Fra- Frank Vogel, who is the head coach, I'm not sure it is. I mean, he's 
he's dealing with a lot of personalities here, a lot of headline acts, and while he tries to act, um, do his job sort of uh, below the headlights, um, it does, doesn't appear to be working out for him. No, it doesn't for them. Um, he's a very defensive-minded coach, and um, you know he's he's been in some he's he's coached some amazing teams in the past, um, and who have all been known for their defense. But there's actually just no player on this team apart from probably Anthony Davis, who actually is a defensive-minded player. And I don't even think Anthony Davis probably is a defensive-minded player. He loves to shoot the ball at all times. So I think he's kind of just coaching a, a bunch of players who um, don't really fit his, his coaching ethos and it, it's hard to watch it sometimes. <laughs> they just don't really look like they know what's going on and sometimes, you know, when there's been a, a silly turnover or just a waste of play, you know, you just look at the players. I'm sure you've seen it in a lot of sports. They just look at each other and, and figure out who's to blame. You know, like, who are we, who are we going to point the finger out here? Is it me or you? And and just looking at Frank Vogel on the sideline, looking all sorts of uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I don't know. If, if the Lakers don't prove to be a winning team this season, I, I would not be surprised at all if he's gone and and fired. It, it seems like um, an NBA coach coaching job, wherever you go around America, you wouldn't want to buy a house there. I just think you'd want to rent because I don't think you mm. feel very safe in, in your environment, to be quite honest with you. So at the moment, it's the, in the Eastern Conference, it's uh, the Nets, the Bulls and the Bucks. Bucks are a little bit up and down as well, aren't they, to be fair? Yeah, they, but to be fair, they haven't had a lot of their key players. Um, they've only just in the last week or so had Giannis, Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, who were their, their key trio to winning that championship last year. They've only just had them all back. and They're starting to get on a good wee run now. Um, the Chicago Bulls, um, a lot of people are enjoying seeing them play back, play some winning basketball again, but they've just had, um, like I mentioned before, a, a wee mini COVID outbreak within their team. So um, DeMar DeRozan, who who signed there and has been an MVP candidate, a first-team All-NBA candidate. He's going to be out for another week. Another key piece is now being out for a week. So I think they've got four or five players who are out now. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually quite annoying to watch. Um, players just drop like flies, you know, when they're when they're playing such fun winning basketball and then the team just loses a lot of key players and there's a lot of adapting going on, Smithy. Yeah, there is. Uh, George... Hey, hey, thanks very much. Uh, Eagle Eye this weekend uh, on the breakers. They need at least, uh, I think, to win one of those two games and get those combinations going. I, I think that would be a fair return. They don't want to be 0 from 3, do they? No, nah, totally right. Um, yeah, 0 3 will be a big issue. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know yeah. where they'll come back from there. It's basketball's a game of runs, and yeah, if you're down 0 3, then yeah, good luck to you. <laughs> Okay, George, hey, thanks for your input, mate, this morning. Uh, really enjoyed it, and uh, yeah, we'll keep an eye on the breakers and the NBA. Uh, over the next few weeks. Thank you. Yeah, beauty. Thanks, Smithy. Appreciate it. Yeah, George Berry there, folks, uh, and uh, he's our basketball wizard, uh, keeping us up to date uh, on the NBL and the NBA. 9.43 here on SENZ to keep those texts coming in. Your team of 2021 and why? Uh, And your individual of 2021 and why? Um, Pretty quiet coming in this morning. I I, I don't think it's too hard, is it? Is it it hard uh, if you're a devout uh, All Black fan, uh, the fact that they've locked up all the trophies they wanted to lock up, is that good enough for you? Uh, bearing in mind they didn't do too well towards the end of that Northern Tour, but uh, you set out um, what they needed to do. Did they do it? Uh, I think they probably did uh, in terms of the trophy cabinet. But uh, was it good enough for you? Where did they rank, uh, the All Blacks?
Uh, and uh, any other teams, uh, any other Olympic teams, Olympic individuals, Lisa Carrington, pretty hard to go past Lisa Carrington, Sophie Pascoe, um, any of those individuals there. Uh, where does um, Ajaz Patel fit into the mix, that one-off performance? Uh, we'll be talking to the man himself uh, just after 10 o'clock here on SENZ. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, Matt from Blenheim's come in and said, Team of the Year, hands down the Black Caps, albeit underwhelming in their latest performance. This is the peak of New Zealand cricket's history. Individual of the Year, also easy, Lisa Carrington. No explanation needed. Uh, keep up the good work. Thanks, Matt, for uh, your input there. Um, John, we talked about it yesterday, about uh, the America's Cup and uh, that meeting at uh, uh, the Royal New Zealand Yacht Squadron. Um, uh, sounds like uh, there was a, a gathering around about uh, 200 people, be it either online or in separate rooms on Thursday night. Uh, and at the end of it, it uh, was it a, a win for Grant Dalton, did, did they feel? Is that, is that the way it came through? That's the way I'm reading it, Smithy. Uh, look, Dalton turned up and he didn't have to. It was an AGM for the Royal New Zealand Yacht Squadron and he's not part of that, but he wanted to just show face and be like, hey, this is the way it is, guys, and this is why I don't want it in New Zealand and this is why I want this money because um, he didn't want Mark Dumphy and his mates to have the whole floor and the whole room the whole time being like, hey, why is Grant Dalton not letting us have it here? Uh, he went in and he said, well, they're $50 million short, essentially of what I need, so that's why I'm taking it overseas. I need that overseas money to fund our campaign. Do you want us to win the America's Cup or not? And it sounds like uh, most of the people in attendance and online, Smithy, like that from Grant Dalton and agreed. So it looks like definitely now, doesn't it, the next America's Cup will not be in New Zealand. So just enlighten me, the decision is made by, the final decision is made by? Oh, it's Grant Dalton, isn't it? Uh, Isn't it? He's the boss. I don't think anyone else has the decision to make, do they? Or is it because they, are, uh, the Royal New Zealand Yacht Squadron are the holders of the America's Cup, I guess? Like, your team's got to be from somewhere. I guess they get mm. some sort of say, but do they get more of a say than Grant Dalton? Clearly not. Otherwise, we know where it would be. <laughs> uh, but obviously, yesterday was uh, just a, a fact-finding, a dollar-revealing um, dollar exercise, uh, to be honest. And uh, $50 million short... If you do the maths, it's quite a lot of money, and it doesn't appear it's going to come from from anywhere in particular. No, no, I think Mark Dumphy's put all he can. What the government said, ninety nine million or whatever. Um, I don't think the government's going to stump up any more. So, yeah, uh, I think Grant Dalton he, he doesn't lose, does he? Very often, uh, on or off the water. So it looks like he's won this one again. So what is it? Cork in Ireland, Valencia or Saudi Arabia, and all the chat is, if it's in uh, Saudi Arabia, you can kiss goodbye uh, Burling and Chuk. They won't be part of anything that goes on in Saudi Arabia. So that's the next interesting thing, Smithy. Where will it be? Well, if you can kiss goodbye Burling and Chuk, if you can say hello to a pot full of gold, I can promise you that. Anything around those areas won't be underfunded. It is 9.53 here on SENZ. When we return, uh, we'll have a multi uh, just before 10 o'clock, and then after that, it's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. We got a couple up yesterday out of the four options that uh, we chose. Napoli beat Leicester and uh, Australia versus England. First method of dismissal yesterday. Yes, it was. It was caught. Uh, but the Miami Heat surprisingly beat the Milwaukee Bucks, who are down on talent. 
a little bit. And um, Rangers and Leon drew uh, one all this morning. No good. Uh, so today we'll go uh, one for the weekend. Uh, it's going to come up to over 10 bucks. Minnesota Vikings to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers today. That's uh, Friday NFL action. Uh, tonight, the Central Stags, I believe, are playing so well that they will beat the Canterbury Kings at $1.87. And overall, I believe in Australia's uh, second turn at bowling, uh, the top bowler will be Josh Hazelwood in the second innings. I tossed up between Hazelwood and Nathan Lyon because I think England will bat better, which, mean Lyon, which means Lyon will bowl a lot more overs. Uh, but I do believe uh, Hazelwood, I think, uh, in the end, uh, will get that at three seventy-five. So ten dollars seventy-three, ten bucks seventy-three. That'd be okay. Put uh, ten bucks on that, you might get a hundred uh, to play with over the rest of the weekend because it'll all be decided by, uh, I reckon, by this time tomorrow. Uh, look, Ajaz Patel uh, has got uh, a vote here as uh, the standout performance uh, of the year. It's got to be his because that is history. Uh, and uh, another person that's from Chris, another one has come in and said it has to be our Golden Sevens ladies and Lisa Carrington. So uh, starting to uh, come in there with your opinions. Interesting, the Black Caps, um, yeah, did the, uh, did the last part of the season hurt? their cause as much as it did for the All Blacks. Maybe you think the last memory is the deciding one. Certainly can't take anything away from those beautiful Sevens ladies and what they achieved. So, interesting debate. We'll hear more from it. Uh, but in particular, we'll hear from Ajaz Patel very shortly. Yes, Trudy. There is a towering bow up in the air towards mid-wicket. Can someone get under and take the catch? It is indeed taken. Ruchin Ruvindra and quite amazingly Ajaz Patel becomes just the third player in Test Match Cricket history to take all 10 wickets in an innings. Yeah, that was the voice of uh, Daniel McCarty, uh, and it goes down in uh, the Annals of uh, Cricket forever as a history-making moment, and uh, it's one that uh, we, we shall never forget. Uh, Ajaz Patel becoming just the third cricketer in 144-year history of the game uh, to take 10 in innings, and the Black Caps are now... Back home from their tour of India yesterday, and uh, luckily uh, we were able to uh, speak to the man himself this morning uh, from MIQ in Christchurch. Uh, first of all, uh, Ajaz Patel, welcome home. Cheers, buddy. How are you? Oh, look, I'm good. I'm all the better for watching what you did uh, about seven days uh, seven days ago, mate. First of all, can you take us back to uh, how special it was uh, being in Mumbai? Because you left there what at the age of a, a, a around eight, I think. So what do you remember of life growing up in, in Mumbai? And is that where you first loved starting uh, you know, the thought of playing cricket? Yeah, I mean, it was quite special to be back in Mumbai and, um, you know, to, to play in Mankiri alone and to represent New Zealand um, in Mumbai was quite uh, quite special for me. Um, just that itself. And then, um, obviously, when, when I moved over to New Zealand, I was I was relatively young, but I'd been through schooling and, um, you know, played a lot of cricket um, out in the gullies and stuff like that over there. So um, the passion for the game was always there, but I, I suppose I never really had the structure to actually, you know, um, really take it up until I got to New Zealand. Uh, and then that's kind of, you know, obviously where my game's developed over here at home. It's uh, an amazing story, this, mate, because, uh, you know, as we say, it's only been done three times in 144 years of Test history. Uh, has it sunk in yet? Um, yeah, it is, I, I guess it has, but at the same time, I, I think, you know, like, 
if we if we look and, and as you mentioned, it's only been done three times, but I think there's a lot of luck involved as well. Um, obviously, you have to put the ball in good areas, but you also have to have things go your way. And um, you know, it was one of those special special innings that um, you know everything seemed to go my way in the sense that you know anything could happen from the other end, but throughout the game it didn't. Um, and that's no lack of trying either. Um, I thought the boys bowled really well, but just um, you know just. I guess it was stated that um, you know things were meant to happen at my end on the day. So yeah, it was quite 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 a special occasion. Um, pretty cool for me, but also especially for my family. You know, I mean, the amount of support that I've received over the years from them to be able to do what I do, um, it's quite special to see the joy um, that it's brought to them. And the other thing I find special is you don't get as many opportunities as a lot of bowlers. Um, and so I, I think that uh, you know the rarity of that uh, chance for you, I, I think, makes it the, 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 um, the achievement um, even more substantial for me. When, when that, during that innings, did, did you have a thought um, that you might get all 10? I mean, you had six from memory overnight. What were you thinking at that point? Yeah, I, I had, I think, four overnight, and um, I remember leaving that day and, um, you know, having a look at the honours board and thinking... How, how cool would it be to, you know, leave my leave my name on the honours board in Mumbai? Um, and to be honest, I was only really thinking five at that point in time. Um, and uh, I was like, well, I've still got to come back and get one tomorrow and then um, see where things go from there. But obviously the way that it unfolded, um, it, it's funny because when you get into such a long spell, you're not really thinking about the wickets. You're just thinking about controlling one ball at a time. And I was so focused on that that I didn't really think too much about what was happening on the board um, mm. until we got that ninth wicket and I knew that once we got that ninth, ninth wicket I think I was two balls into the over and I knew I had about four and I remember saying the wags that um, I'm un- I feel like I'm under more pressure now than I have been all innings uh, um, knowing that I've got four balls to try and get this wicket um, and yeah I-, I was quite nervous for Ruchi under that um, under that high ball um, he, he took um an amazing catch for someone so young under so much pressure from, um, you know, the, I guess the situation that it was and also the, the crowd noise. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was quite a special moment, uh, not only for me, but for, for everyone that was involved, really. But this is, you know, this is India at home. This is what makes it so phenomenally good for me as well. And this is India including Kohli, including Pajara. I mean, this is a fine batting side that you've just completely and utterly by yourself taken apart. Uh, was there any key dismissals for you, any memorable ones apart from that last one when the ball was hanging in the air? Um, no, not not so much. Like I said, I mean, for me, it was really about controlling each delivery. Um, wickets, uh, obviously, are great, but, um, I mean, my whole my whole system and the way that I go about things is all about controlling one thing at a time. I'm, I'm sure as I look more and more uh, later on in my career, I'll look back at some of the um, you know, some of the accomplishments and go, well, that was something special or there there was something that I enjoyed in that. But, I mean, at the time, if I'm honest with you, it was really just about, you know, trying to control each ball and and make sure that I put it in a good area. And like you you said, as a spinner, um, you know, from New Zealand, every time you get an opportunity to to play on a surface that's offering you a bit, you have to be very, very hungry and you have to be a little bit selfish and and try and, um, you know, make the most of them. Because uh, as, as you mentioned, uh, that those occasions and those kind of surfaces don't, um, you know, present themselves too often for us uh, back home. So when you do get in those conditions, you have to be hungry for it and, and, and really want to, you know, really contribute. Uh, AJ, 
you didn't have much preparation. I mean, you 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 weren't able to get um, those overs under your belt, those workloads up. So, um, what did you do? How how did you sort of um, cram it in getting into the series? Because knowing full well you were going to be a key factor in it. Yeah, I mean, obviously the the lockdown in Auckland made it a little bit more difficult um, to try and get some um, proper, I, I guess, high intensity overs in. But um, I spent a lot of time down at um, suburbs bowling in the outdoor nets and spent some time with a guy, um, Barrington Rowland, working on my batting before we left. Um, so it was, it was still about just, you know, working on my action and, and making sure that I was happy with um, the way the ball was coming out. Um, from a volume perspective, I guess we were, we were fortunate. Um, we were going around with the T20 boys and in between we were training kind of every day that they were playing. So I just made sure I bowled. Plenty in those in those in those situations. Um, you know, sometimes uh, we'd have a two-hour. Uh, on a couple of occasions, we had about a two-hour net session, and I just tried to bowl right through just to kind of get my body to to be ready, but also just to make sure that I was happy with the way that the ball was coming out. Because, um, like you say, I mean, you get into those conditions and you're expected to you know to perform and and um, make the most of them. So it was really important for me that I did that. We saw the joy on the field uh, amongst the team when uh, that you took the 10th wicket, but um, we understand behind the scenes as well, there was uh, quite a nice reaction for from uh, quite a few of the Indian players as well. Yeah, it was it was nice nice of, um, you know, a few of them came over and shook my hand, like Rahul Dravid, Virat Kohli, Mohamed um, Siraj, and then um, Ashwin to present me with an Indian jersey with uh, all the names signed on it was, was very special. Um, and also the Mumbai Cricket Association almost kind of, you know, um, made me one of their own, to be fair. So it was, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was quite humbling um, for, for a, um, a kid that's come from Mumbai to be able to go back there and achieve something so special. And uh, the amount of messages and, and phone calls and, um, you know, texts that I've received has been quite amazing, quite overwhelming uh, to a certain degree. Um, but, yeah, I've got plenty of time in isolation to try and get through them slowly. What about um, the, the two the two cricket balls? Did you manage to keep those uh, and and uh, and lock them away? Yeah, I mean, um, obviously we gave we gave one of the match balls to the Mumbai Cricket Association. Uh, I believe we're going to put one in the New Zealand Cricket Museum, and I'll get to hold on to whatever's remaining. So, yeah, it's definitely something that um, I'll look back at, and and it'd be nice to have in the cabinet to to you know relive relive those memories. It's it's quite special. Um, to be able to achieve that, uh, and only being 11 games in, um, you know, hopefully I can uh, achieve a bit more. Okay, so you know you're plugged away in the Plunkett Shield. You've been the leading wicket taker in that competition for the Stags. Um, did you wonder uh, if you if you'd ever get a shot at this kind of opportunity um, as you were going through those years of, of first class cricket? Um. I, I suppose the goal was always to play for New Zealand. Um, and, I mean, for me, it's always been focused on the process, um, let the outcome take care of itself. So I guess for me, the process was about bowling plenty of overs, taking plenty of wickets, and, um, you know, the outcome was the end goal to try and play for New Zealand. And um hasn't really changed much since playing for New Zealand, to be fair. Once again, it's, it's process-driven to, to make sure that you know, I put myself in the best position to, to um, you know, give myself the best chance. So every time I go out there, um, I just try and enjoy myself, knowing that I've put the work in and, um, you know, done all the hard yards beforehand. So 
that I can just go out there and, and, and not really worry too much about, um, you know, whether I'm prepared or not. I always make sure that I'm going in with a with a good mindset and, and pretty happy with the preparation and then I can just go out there and express myself and enjoy myself. Uh, I suppose that's the big thing about professional sport. I mean, it can be pretty pretty high pressure and, uh, you know, the expectations to perform, but uh, I guess the way that I've found to offload it is to work on the process rather than the outcome. We've just had a text in uh, whilst we've been talking to you from uh, John and said, can you ask Ajaz the ball at bowled Ashwin? Was that the best ball you bowled in those 10 wickets? <laughs> um, yeah, that'll be up there. It's definitely up there. It's probably one of the best balls, best balls of that game for me, personally. Um, to be able to challenge someone um, with a ball like that first up, uh, it's always going to be difficult for a new batter. And um, funny enough, like I, I think he thought that we were going up for a court behind. That's why he, um, you know, tried to tee it up pretty quickly. But um, he hadn't quite realised that it had bowled him. So yeah, that was that was a pretty cool ball. And that's kind of you know the ball you dream of as a, as a left arm spinner um, to pitch it on leg stump and uh, take the top of off. Uh, I guess the other one is to a left-hander pitch it outside off some and take the top box uh, um, through the gate. But yeah, it was it was pretty cool. It was quite surreal, um, and, and the amount of support that I even received at the ground from uh, the Indian supporters was quite special. To be fair, to be able to turn them into um, loving little old Kiwi boys um, was pretty cool. Well, we didn't even you know we knew Hadley. We saw Hadley. Um, some of us were lucky enough to be out there, but. I'm not sure anyone ever expected that uh, you'd go past the great man. Uh, have you had a message from him? Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I didn't think I would either. But um, yeah, it's quite a special special occasion. Yeah, I did. I actually got a message. Um, it was one of the first messages that was um, uh, given to me by um, Willie Nichols. Uh, and it was quite humbling to receive a message from Sir Richard. Obviously, um, he's one of the all-time greats when it comes to New Zealand cricket and I, I know a lot of cricketers actually look up to him and, and try and um, emulate uh, some of the stuff that he's been able to do throughout his career. So um, to, to receive a message from um, you know one of the greats of our game was quite humbling and quite special. Um, yeah, and it's, you know, it still seems chills down your spine knowing that um, someone of that greatness has um, you know, reached out to you to congratulate you on something that you've achieved. Uh, so it's pretty, pretty special. Hey, Jazz, I know it was mid-test match, so um, you know you had to keep things uh, pretty balanced. But were you able to uh, uh, celebrate in some way with uh, those family members overseas? And how do you how do you plan to celebrate uh, when you get out of MIQ uh, back here? Yeah, it's funny because um, my, my my dad said to me after I got four on the first day. Um, oh, actually, he didn't say to me. My sisters were telling me that dad said that um, you know if I got five, uh, he'd throw a party at home um, to the family. And uh, I don't think any of us really expected that it was going to unfold the way that it did. So I think the following day, dad organised a uh, dinner at home with the extended family, and um, they all came around and had a good time and. Um, watch some of the cricket together and um, I'm, I'm sure we'll be doing much of the same when I get home. I'm sure there'll be a, a bit of cake and um, lots of good food and um, you know share a few stories with the family. I'm sure they're all itching to hear about it and to be honest with you, without their support, um, I wouldn't have got half as far as I have um, to, to where I am now. Um, my parents, um, my wife, my um, you know my, my grandmother and my cousins and uncles and aunties, they're, they're all an integral part of my journey. Um, they've all kind of helped 
in their own way to, to get me where I am. And without them, I don't think I would have been able to achieve half the things I have up until now. So, yeah, it's been it's been special to kind of give them something back to, to care about. And, um, you know, it's been pretty cool. It'd be nice to uh, really, you know, to, to top it off, I, I think the New Zealand public would love to see you uh, in action back here at home, I think, so they can get close to you and... and and congratulate you personally themselves and, and pay uh, tribute to that great achievement. So it would be nice to think that uh, they might take some grass or some of the pitches this year for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, as a, as a spinner, I, I guess in New Zealand, we know the challenges of New Zealand conditions, but I mean, I, I've, I've never really felt that that's um, something that, that should detract from spin bowling or, or discourage anyone from bowling spin in New Zealand because... I mean, even though the conditions are different, you can still, um, you know, contribute to the team and um, find ways of getting wickets. And, and I think that's one of the challenges for international bowlers when they come here is, is trying to figure out how to take wickets on our surfaces. Um, but, yeah, look, I mean, you know, you certainly can play a part as a spinner in New Zealand. Um, it's just around kind of, you know, how, how that's done. Um, it's slightly different to overseas, but... Yeah, hopefully there's more opportunities to play for New Zealand at home. Um, I'd love nothing more to, than to be an established member in the test side for, for a decent period of time. Um, and, and that's always the goal, and that's always what you're kind of striving towards. I mean, you know, having picked up so many wickets at home at a domestic level, I, I, I'd like to think mm. that um, you know, I'm more than capable of doing that at an international level or just... You know, just need the opportunities to be able to kind of, you know, find a way and um, settle into international cricket at home for a decent period. Um, but yeah, I guess the only only thing is obviously our our seamers are unbelievable at home, and, and we've seen them do some special things away from home now as well. And so every time they get the ball and and seem for any conditions, it's pretty hard to get the ball back off them. So. Yeah, I guess it's kind of wait and see um, on on how the the pitches look this summer and um, going forward. But um, yeah, it's it's always it's always a target to to kind of you know be a member of that test team as much as possible and play as much cricket for New Zealand as possible. Well, one thing's for sure, uh, AJs, none of them have got ten wickets in an innings. Those uh, seamers, and none of them, I, I don't <laughs> think, have got fourteen in a fourteen in a match. So at this point in your life, you have that over them once and for all. So. Hey, look, it's, it's great that you're home. Um, it's great um, that you've been able to sit back and reflect now on, on one of the great sporting achievements this country has ever seen and that uh, the game of cricket has ever seen uh, forever. Forever, mate. Uh, you're in history now. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we, we congratulate you for that and, and never, ever, um, never, ever uh, be, be a part of your thinking that uh, no one appreciates it back here, whether you play or not uh, at home. Uh, I don't think that matters uh, to me and, and to those people no, that you absolutely you you, you've thrilled, mate. You, you've thrilled everyone, mate. And no. uh, you know the great thing now when those kids get the cricket balls under their cric- uh, Christmas trees this year, instead of wanting to be Richard Hadley's and Trent Bolts, I reckon a lot of them want to be AJ yeah. Patel now. And, and that's probably the most special special thing of all. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, I guess as a spinner in New Zealand to to be able to inspire kids to take up spin bowling, um, it, it's something quite special and, and something that you know I, I do hope to achieve throughout my career um, we saw when we had um, the likes of Dan playing that a lot of kids wanted to be left arm spinners and, um, and and I guess for me it's about inspiring the next generation of cricketers and um, you know hopefully this means that more kids will be wanting to take up spin bowling and not discouraged by our conditions and going well I'd much rather be a senior so 
seam bowling is a lot of fun. Um, I, I've seen both sides of it. I've been a seamer in the past, and um, uh, being a spin bowler is quite something quite special for me. Um, and, and I do enjoy the intricacies of it. So, if I can inspire another generation to to produce some quality spinners, that um, you know later on in my career, I'd love for someone to come out and say, look. Um, I remember watching that spell, and, and that's what really got me into spin bowling. So, if, if that happens, that will probably be a very, very humbling moment for me. Um, and yeah, hopefully, it does happen someday in the future. Hey, Jasper Tell, uh, fantastic uh, for you to make yourself available, mate. Rest up well in the MIQ. Enjoy that uh, reunion with your family, and uh, enjoy your summer at home, where I think the New Zealand fans will love to get to know you even better. Thanks for your time, and once again, congratulations on one of the great achievements in New Zealand sport. Well done. Cheers, Smitty. Thanks for having me. No, thank you. Uh, Ajaz Patelia, folks. Um, wow. Uh, you're that good. You do something that great, and um, you're that humble about the whole deal, and you just take it in your stride and move on. It's, that sums him up to me. Uh, he's uh, a brilliant young man, to be honest, a great family man, and, and now he's a great man for New Zealand. It's 10.22 here. On SENZ, uh, we've got a panel coming up, but an all-female panel this morning, Lavina Good and Jordan Oppert. Uh, we might talk a little bit about Ajaz Patel, but uh, uh, they might reflect on their performances of the year as well. That's coming up shortly. Smithy, this is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Lavina Good with us this morning, Jordan Oppert as well, so uh, a fired up all-female panel to, to uh, get stuck into some of these issues today, and uh, Lavina, I might just begin with you because it's been an underwhelming start to the Ashes uh, for England. Uh, we had uh, those of us that don't want Australia to win had high expectations and uh, squashed right from the very first damn ball. Yeah, good morning, Smitty. Hey, Jordan, nice to speak to you. I'm a massive cricket fan. I do, I do love my Ashes, not going to lie. I've nearly uh, divorced my husband twice, once because he fell asleep at the Ashes in Edgebaston, and the other time was because he was vacuuming during a Boxing Day test. So, you know, that has always been a tentative <laughs> moment in our relationship. So I bloody look forward to the Ashes more than anyone. But what cracked me up was John Lewis coming out, his bowling coach for the Poms, and saying, we did pretty good, we didn't do too bad, we did okay. And I'm like, John, boy, you've got rocks in your head, buddy. <laughs> Honestly, what are you thinking? To let Travis Head get that you know, record-breaking century top three fastest in the history of the game and not put any pressure on him is, is just ridiculous. They made a really bad choice to bring in Jack Leach. And not that I don't like him as a player, Smitty. I actually do think he can turn the ball well. But it's a five-finger pitch, and they should have known it. Mm. And they kind, kind of mm. panicked a bit, you know, and they thought, hey, you know, th- things are going to happen and we need to bring in a bowler. But they made the wrong choice there. Um, I know they miss Stokes, I know they miss his power, pace and his bounce, but seriously, to bring in Jack Leach as a replacement for him, they're going to suffer for it. And what they need to do is come out and, and skip, the, skip the cucumber sandwiches for this morning, eh, Tom? They need to come out and get a few wickets, dust themselves off, and say we need to get these wickets really quick for Australia, and we need to have some batsmen come out and show us how to bat, because they're meant to be able to bat, Smitty. They're meant to be able to bat. Supposedly so, uh, Lavina Jordan. I, I suppose, uh, well, I hope you've been able to cast your uh, your evil eye over uh, a little bit of cricket during your busy social life. What have you made of the start to the Ashes? Well, yeah, yesterday was actually an RDO. What a day for it as well. So, yeah, perched up on the couch watching that. I mean, yeah, I kind of um, good morning, Lavina as well. I'm kind of following what you said as well. 
Yeah, England will be searching France today. That uh, fielding and bowling performance wasn't flash at all. I mean, you know, missed opportunities, drop catches. I mean, those back bend strokes, no ball over where he could have just missed Warner. Uh, it kind of just set the tone for what was a bit of the lackluster day, to be honest, out in the field for them. I mean, they've got England do have a couple of Miggles and Ollie Robinson and Ben Stokes. I'm sure they'll be hoping those aren't, aren't too bad. But, yeah, echoing what Davina said, really, they need to come out today firing and um, <laughs> give it a good shot because at the moment it's looking a bit bleak. It's looking more than bleak, I can promise you that. What worried me is just how look, spent they looked. Uh, and that's only the first day in the sun in Australia, so... Uh, that that was the worrying sign for me. Uh, the good news for you, though, uh, Jordan, is that the Black Caps are quarantining in Christchurch, so at some point you might be able to get a camera around Ajaz Purcell. We just talked to him this morning. What an amazing performance. What a lovely guy to go with it. Oh, God, he is so lovely, isn't he? He's one of the nicest guys. I did an interview with him um, not that long ago about his Muslim background. It was in relation to something around the Christchurch mosque shootings. And the way he spoke... I was just in awe of like what, you know, how, the, the, the lengths he goes to playing cricket during Ramadan, um, the, the family aspect. And I think for me, that's what makes this King with himself so special is the circumstances he did it in back home in Mumbai. I mean, I just don't think it's better. The man deserves every accolade he can get. And in regards to Chateau, the amount of times I've perched up there outside and people must think, who the hell is she and what the hell is she doing? I'm always on the blooming corner of that street trying to shoot to see what we can get in there with every sports team quarantining it. Everyone must just be like, what is she doing? So, um, no, I'm sure I'll catch up with a couple of them over Zoom over the next seven days, and then they're out. How good? Uh, here's, a t- here's a text for you, Lavina Good. It's just come from, from Sean. Lavina Good's husband can't win. Threatening divorce when he does the vacuuming. Now, that's a first. That's coming from Sean. Yeah. It's bloody rude, eh, Sean? Appreciate this, mate. It's a Boxing Day test. You've looked forward to it for all the year. You've talked to your partner about it all year. You're sitting there watching cricket. You're having a pint in front of you, a hazy IPA if you're lucky, and then all of a sudden someone starts vacuuming around you as you're watching. It's bloody rude, mate. Bloody rude. On the back of 10 years earlier, falling asleep at Edgbaston, watching Day 4 Means War with Mark Moore and Steve Waugh coming in to bowl and bat for the Aussies, it's rude. You can't get away with stuff like that, mate. You just can't get away with it. You must appreciate it, Sean. Come on now. Come on now. Uh, I've got, Levine. <laughs> I've got this horrible vision in my mind of, of what your husband might be wearing as he's doing this, and just just tell me he's, oh. he's, he's not. <laughs> Smitty, he wasn't, it wasn't I want to break free. Don't worry about that. He didn't have an apron on or anything like that. He was just hoovering, mate. He's uh, a Virgo. He's a clean freak, and he doesn't like his cricket. <laughs> if he doesn't like his cricket, he won't appreciate Ajaz Patel's effort, but I'll bet you did. I did. And I, look, Jordan, I don't know about you, but I've got some mates that I'm really close to that don't like cricket at all. I've got a couple of mates that do the whole, oh, I love 2020. I'm like, sweet as you like baseball, good, just good to see. But I love test cricket, and I've always been addicted to it. So I was trying to describe to a couple of my girlfriends the feat and the achievement of it. And when I finished describing it, they looked at me and went, are you taking the piss? Like, are you telling the truth? Did this dude really get 10 wickets? It's like a Hollywood script come true. And the fact that he went back to his country to do it, a country he left at eight years of age. And the way I described it to them, like I, I was one of a few people that actually stayed up late to watch it live. And I, every wicket that went and every wicket that dropped, it was like winning lotto. It was like circling a number on your lotto, circling your number on your lotto. And then in the end, to take the 10th wicket, it's 
for me, I was saying to my mate, it's a comparison of winning a world title or a world championship title in an individual event. And it was an individual event, if you think about it, because in the end, the Black Caps didn't do anything to help him out when it came to winning the actual test series, which would have been lovely. But when I talked to my friends, I said to them, it's such a feat. It's something that should be held in high accolade for a very, very long time. And I think they finally got it. It was sensational, sensational, remarkable. It had everything that sport needed, which was drama, excitement, commitment, determination, and such a humble man as well. It's just awesome. Uh, hey, Lavina, quite the opposite is um, the ongoing saga of where, when, how uh, the America's Cup um, played out another... A uh, little chat the last night at the Royal New Zealand Yacht Squadron when they had uh, their annual general meeting. So uh, where, do, where does it sit for you? I mean, are you over it? Are you angry with it? Do you really care? Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, every time I speak to you, Smitty, I get into a bit of trouble. I'm not going to lie, right? <laughs> I, I say things that oh. not everyone agrees with. I, I'm going to speak from the heart because this is an opportunity I get to, to do on the show. But I, I've always found um, the America's Cup and also... Um, sailing in general to be quite an elitist sport in New Zealand. I like a sport where kids can go outside and um, participate in a sport that doesn't cost a whole lot of money and they get an opportunity to do it. And I've always found in New Zealand and Australia with sailing, you have to have a bit of coin to get kids involved in sailing and support them with a P class. So in terms of that, it's never been something that's resonated with me as my favourite sporting event of the year. I do love watching Team New Zealand. I support Team New Zealand and it's sexually exciting when they win. But when it comes down to a campaign where they need $200 million and if the government can't come up with all of that money, if they have to go offshore to find that, to hold that event, it just tells me once again it's a, a very much a money-driven sport. So I'm not encapsulated by what's happening. I'm not part of the team that want to have it held in New Zealand because I know that's going to cost a whole lot of money and that money could probably go somewhere else. If it was held in New Zealand, it would be great for the economy and that's something that I would definitely support. But in terms of it going offshore to get more money from Spain, Ireland or Saudi Arabia to try and raise that 200 million bucks, it's something that I, I guess concerns me. I'm a massive rugby league fan and I've watched for a very long time the South Auckland rugby league fans turn up to a stadium that's looking pretty tatty and pretty ugly to do with a few million dollars and making it a better venue for rugby league in this country. And then that doesn't happen, and I watch the government give tens of millions of dollars to a sailing campaign that really only supports a few people in the country. So, no, I can't say that um, I'm too invested when it comes to the decision and the discussion of where the America's Cup will be held. Well, Jordan, you, of course, got your finger on the pulse of uh, all sporting issues and opinion down there in the South Island. Do they give a rat's proverbial down there? Well, I guess this is the thing, right? And I kind of, again, look, are you just nailing this today? I mean, I'm happy just to leave you guys if you like, because you are killing this with both of us. But I mean, my, <laughs> <Jordan>. point <for> this, <laughs> my point for this is along the same lines, that if you're wanting to get buy-in from those people who do believe it's an elite sport and, you know, money, this, this fact is not helping. I mean, I feel like it's changing it at the moment. I mean, people down here, I'm not sure that they really care, to be honest. I mean, I'm sure there will be some who do, would head up there in their flow pillars, but, I mean, the bulk of them don't. I mean, we'll be happy just to get the women's sale GP to finally go ahead at Littleton. I mean, we built half the facilities and then we got canned at the last minute, so let's just crack on with that. And I think as well, I don't know about you guys, but watching media opportunities around the sale GP the other day, even Blair Truk and Peter Burling seem more fit for the sale GP than they do about the America's Cup. So it shows that I think kind of everyone 
it's sort of a bit like, mm, okay, a bit over this now. Because every couple of days there seems to be a new development, development in quotations there, because it seems like a hell of a lot of talking with not a lot much walking, and it's not very relatable to the bulk of Kiwis, I don't think. And this year was a flop economically, but I think that, I mean, was it, was it this year or last year? Jeez, it's gone quick. Last year. This year. Okay. Anyway, whenever uh, it was, look, it was a bit of a flop, but yeah. COVID had something to do with that, whereas I guess going yeah. forward it would have a better economic boost because, but I don't know if it's enough. No, nah, look, I'm not quite, I don't even think that's uh, a factor in, in what Mr Dalton's thinking, uh, to be perfectly honest. Uh, let's, uh, let's go to a, a sort of a good news, bad news story. Great year for the women's sevens team, of course, but um, Jordan, when it came to recognising uh, um, Sarah Hurney, uh, she missed the boat. She couldn't become the, the player of the year, which uh, is a little bit surprising. Yeah, it is surprising, actually. And it's a real shame. Like, she led the Tokyo Sevens to Golden Tokyo. Obviously, that's one thing. But for me, with Sarah, it's the way she conducts herself off the field. I don't believe there's another leader quite like her. You know, she's world-class. Her leadership, the way she can unify a group, you know, to work towards these common goals, these major sporting accolades. The sheer manner and respect is probably another thing for me. Like, I don't know if there's anyone who demands yet deserves that as much as Sarah, but I read up about the woman who did win from France. She's the first French player to be nominated and single-handedly got them into the finals in Tokyo. So, I mean, it's not taking anything away from her, but I feel like Sarah is truly our golden girl, and it's such a shame that she she was robbed of that title. It is, actually. Um, I I, I kind of thought uh, they might get something for that. Lavina, what do you reckon? This French girl, Anne-Cécile Siofani, is absolutely fantastic, to be fair. I've watched her play for a few years, and she is amazing. She only started playing at 18. I think she's just short of six foot tall. And I've heard my good old mate Ricky Jane call her name on several occasions, not just throughout the Olympics, when she managed to score tries playing for France. So both her parents were Olympians. She, her dad, I think, was a hammer thrower and a shot putter. But I don't want to be that Kiwi that takes it away from her. But the reason I have an issue with um, Sada Hidani not winning is that she's my mate. She lives here in Toronga. I run a lot of charitable events here. And she's the first superstar in the region. When you're looking for a big name to come and support an event, she puts her hand up and comes and support it. And I think as a player, Jordan, she's, she's polar opposite to um, Siafini, who's that, you know, sensational tool, can't be tackled, you know, really kind of a show pony kind of player out wide. Whereas you described um, Hedony perfectly. She's a leader like no one else. She's got a remarkable ability to demand attention and earn respect without being a show pony or showing off. And I think for that alone, that makes her the best rugby player in the world. Not the fact that she won a gold medal at the Olympics, but her leadership and her ability to pull a team together to come back from adversity after losing against Australia four years earlier to have a new coach within the team, a new fitness uh, manager in the team, and to bring that team together, it, it makes her, and I, I don't always like to compare her to Richie McCaw, but the Richie McCaw of the rugby world, because she has everything. Commitment, determination, a tremendous player, great skills, phenomenal leadership. And if I was on the panel, regardless of how good this Cecilia Siofani plays, and she's an outstanding player, keep an eye out for her in the future, I would pick an overall best rugby player internationally, and that's definitely Sarah Hedini. Okay, that's great. Well, I'll leave you um, on this panel, uh, and and, uh, with this particular thought in mind, uh, Lavina, could you please tell me your New Zealand team of the year and your New Zealand sporting individual of the year? 
Yeah, Phil Halberger always chucks a couple in there individually. I mean, well, I was in um, lockdown with Lisa Carrington and I'm like, well, her name's been on the list three, four years in a row and it's going to be on the list again because she's just phenomenal and what she achieved for New Zealand is great, great, great. But um, as I just mentioned, there's more involved for me to pick the best in the world and for someone that you regard as being held in high accolade. And on the back of um, Hedony not um, winning uh, the World Rugby Player of the Year, I'd like to pick her as sports person of the year. But if it can't, comes to a team, I'd pick the women's, women's rugby sevens team. Just because they've united, um, they've shown that when you centralise the team committee, when you get all the players not pocketed all over New Zealand, when you bring them into one area, one region, one whānau, one team, then you can achieve just about anything with the support of a country and also resources and the support from um, a government that's willing to put money into it. So I'm a big fan of the Women's Rugby Sevens for that. Individual of the Year, look, you know, when was the last time a cricketer won it? I think it must have been a few years ago. I would say Kane Williamson probably took Sportsman of the Year maybe three or four years ago. I'm going to go HRs. I'm going to go Mr Patel because that resonated with me so much. And uh, there won't be another opportunity for him to be in the limelight like that, to beat India on your own in India, to come from India and do it. I'm going to go, Ajaz is my man. And in terms of team of the year, I'm definitely going to go with the women's rugby sevens. Fantastic. And for you, Jordan? Okay, so Halberd sports person, I'm going to go with either the goat in the boat, Lisa Carrington, most decorated of all time, four medals in Tokyo, three gold, took the whole nation with her. Cleaned up Seaview Waterway. It should be renamed Carrington's Waterway. Going with Carrington for that one. In terms of team of the year, for me, it's the men's rowing eight. Um, I mean, I don't know. Just for me, history after Munich in 72, I mean, that final 500 will stick with me for God knows how long when they went past Great Britain, the current world champs and Olympic champs. Also, knowing firsthand the the um, how do you call it the impact it's already had on the sport going forward, and that would come down to all of our rowing teams. But the sports just had a massive spike in New Zealand in the last well for this summer anyway. But like you know, teams are, there's record numbers in schools, stuff like that. I think if you're going by the sheer impact, and also just a sporting moment for me, that means eight was something else. Ladies, um, thank you very much for your input this morning. Been absolutely fantastic. Uh, enjoy the silence of uh, Boxing Day this coming year, uh, Lavina. I hope you have a, a great Christmas <laughs> and you married. too, Jordan. <laughs> and, and a great new year as well. Thanks for your, your contribution. It's been uh, wonderful. Uh, that was the panel, 10.44 here on SCNZ uh, when we return. Uh, maybe some uh, texts uh, and also uh, a chance to uh, go to uh, the TAB. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Chase from Waiuku comes in, uh, as always, Team of the Year, Waikato Women's FPC, uh, Blackfern Sevens uh, between them, Performer of the Year, Lisa Carrington, and John, one for you. Uh, Graham says uh, he can't agree with John if he thinks Wylock has passed it, if he's watching a different game to me. Cheers from Graham Marlborough formally. So he's even a Tasman guy disagreeing with you. Yeah, well, I'm a Nelson guy, and it's not uh, often I agree with people from Marlborough anyway. And that's where my sister is as well, and we had our fights back in the day too. So happy to, you know, for people to disagree with me. That's what I'm here for, Smithy. Okay, if that's the case, John, we'll just leave it at that. A wonderful story uh, about uh, Ajaz Patel, no doubt about that. Uh, yeah, and he uh, is something special. And John will try and do this for you perhaps next week. Um, dig out the uh, audio if it's possible of Jim Lakers 10 wickets Jim Lakers 19 wickets back in 1956 there'll be some pathé footage of that somewhere around the place 
John. And speaking of, um, oh, well, no, I won't say that. Speaking of, oh, well, that was from Clayton, actually. And we've got a slightly different, Clay, we've got a Clayton coming in very shortly. Mark Clayton from the, the uh, TAB, of course, from the good oil, from everything. Uh, he'll be joining us as well uh, very shortly. Uh, and then we will go to the TAB for a Friday update. Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Joined by Mark Clayton this morning, of course, uh, the captain of the Good Oil. Be very, very busy tomorrow afternoon. But uh, Clayton, they're racing at Tauranga today as well. Yeah, what a great track, Tauranga is, Smithy. I don't know if you've been here in the past, but just the way it's just set up is just fantastic. The crowd get involved, and the racing's usually pretty fair. Uh, you can win off the front, uh, Tauranga, really on in the day, but we're going to go late in the day, Smithy. I've got two beauties for you and your listeners. Race 8, uh, probably named after you, Smithy. Number 2, mm. GC, Danielle Johnson. It's at $3.50. Oh. He's, he's a big boy. He's had a few growing issues over the couple of years, but I think they've got him right, and he just demolished them at Awapuni. So uh, D is riding GC, DJ riding GC. That's uh, race eight at Tauranga today. That race goes at 4.30. And race nine, just after five o'clock, no, I think it's a smart one here, and he's drawn barrier one, Leith Innes to ride, and that's always more Shane Crawford chains and a bit of money, 6.50, uh, 7.50 and 2.650 and 2.40, so a couple of nice little bets to build a bank for the weekend. Who's your guest uh, on the, the Good Oil tomorrow? Our guest is at Trainers Association President, Sean Clotworthy. So looking forward to um, Sean on board. Of course, his dad involved with Uncle Remus and McQueen, and of course, I think mm. he's been bringing his boy, William Harrison Oscar, in tomorrow too. So we'll catch up, get an update on their good mate, Keith Hobb, and see how Hobby's going out at the farm. Okay, trucking along hobby as always. I, I would imagine what a great character he has been, Clado, over the years. Have a great weekend, mate, and good luck with the Punters Club tomorrow. Pip Morris joins us uh, from the TAV. Pip, a busy day for the Greyhounds as well. You've got uh, two meetings uh, lined up: uh, one at Addington, one at Palmerston North. We certainly do, Smithy. Yeah, really looking forward to it as well. Addington's a little bit more low grade, Palmerston North high grade there, and then of course uh, you got Tolong and Gallops as well, the twenty five thousand dollar. Are guaranteed quaddy there later on and uh, of course we do have Alexandra and Addington Harness later on there is a guaranteed $20,000 mm. terminating pick six there too at around 7.31 uh, my tip went no good yesterday so I'm hoping to get punters back smithy with big time Rolex in race two at Palmerston North it's a really nice field but I just love where he's drawn good race for him last time and he's around $4 so I think that's good shopping and, of course, a big day tomorrow out of Tadaparan, too, and I just had a little look at some big bets on a couple of the Group 1 features. Race 10 there, there's been $2,000 on pre de Fur to win at $5, so slowly moving in in the market there. And another one on Travelling Light to win at around $1,000. And Race 8 in the Group 3, there's been $3,000 on Cheaper Than Divorce at two forty, mm-hmm. and, of course, Brendan Popwell uh, we'll be hosting the coverage there, and I know he's pretty keen on cheaper than divorce. He's playing a couple of power plays around here as well, so check those out. Okay, thanks very much, uh, Pip, and uh, please ha- have a great weekend, uh, both uh, on the investment uh, and uh, whatever else you do as well. So uh, thanks for your, your input this week. It's been great. 
Uh, and uh, we've uh, got a, an interesting guest just after the break, uh, Nick Holt. He's uh, been uh, quite a long time writer for The Telegraph in England. Um, he's uh, covering the Ashes, of course. Uh, what has he made of it so far? Has he written this test match off as uh, one that well, didn't get away, was given away perhaps uh, at the toss? It was only two days ago. Uh, so much has happened since then. Uh, we shall talk to him uh, straight after the 11 o'clock news. Uh, England hurting. England uh, injured. They look battered and bruised so early on in the piece. Sound of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 11.03 here in SENZ, New Zealand time. Uh, meanwhile, uh, in Australia, in parts of Australia anyway, in Sydney in particular, uh, it is uh, 9.03 in the morning. Um, and uh, there for us, uh, covering the cricket on behalf of the Telegraph, has been uh, a long-time journalist for them, Nick Holt, uh, who's been witnessing uh, England being on the back foot, under the rack, uh, on the rack actually, under the pump if you like. You can describe it any other way you like, but they're uh, uh, strag- struggling after just two days of the first Ashes Test match at the Gabba. Pretty much nothing's gone right uh, apart from winning the toss, and then it went wrong it seems. So uh, Nick, uh, thanks for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, tell us, you're having to cover this from, from Sydney. Uh, can't get into Brisbane? No, unfortunately not. We couldn't get into Brisbane uh, because of the quarantine rules, but hopefully uh, we'll be able to go to Adelaide on Monday and cover the, uh, the second test match from there. Okay, let's, uh, let's look at it. Uh, let's go back to uh, that gloomy sort of overcast morning uh, when uh, Joe Root called correctly, um, but perhaps um, didn't do the right thing, and, and whatever happened, it, it hasn't turned out well for England to this point. No, everything that could go wrong has gone wrong so far. Uh, even Ben Stokes picking up an injury yesterday. They're saying that he's got a left knee problem, uh, which we'll probably learn more about today. But that was the kind of news that was the last thing they really wanted to hear. Um, as you know, in Australia, once things start turning against you, it's very hard to turn the tide back again. And uh, I think they're in for a pretty heavy defeat in this game. And it's just a question of whether they've got enough in the tank to bounce back next week in Adelaide. I suppose it was always... A concern, given their lack of preparation for England going into this game, that they could uh, they could get on the wrong side of things very early on. Um, but they've not helped themselves, like you say. You know, the the, the toss decision, uh, the makeup of the team, particularly of the of the bowling lineup, uh, are things that are going to be debated for a long time. They are, and that's of real interest to me. I mean, the toss is one thing. Uh, I think you got it wrong. Looking at the conditions, I wasn't there. Um, but um, I, I had heard the, the thoughts of Ian Healy of Mark Taylor, and they're always bat-first guys in Australia, as you well know, but they said bowl, so I've got to take their word for it there. But this team selection thing is, is quite quite intriguing for me. Uh, the fact that um, no Anderson, I, I can sort of run with that, um, but no Broad as well. I, I just You just have, have one there, one experienced bowler in that bowling attack, Ashes-wise. I think um, that's right, and I think the, the problem they went to the spinner, Jack Leach, um, who uh, they hadn't picked for six months. England played on some turning pitches in the summer at home, and they didn't pick the spinner. They went with a seam attack, um, and yet they, they arrive in Brisbane, a series that they've been planning for for four years, pick a guy they haven't picked for six months, leaving out Anderson, like you say, you can understand because of perhaps his fitness, 
uh, leaving out Broad as well appeared strange because um, they've had plenty of opportunities to move on from Anderson Broad over the last four years since the tour here before and not taken them. To then do it here <laughs> seems a bit seems a bit short-sighted. Mm. And the problem with picking four seamers was that it put a lot of pressure on Mark Wood and Ben Stokes to bowl a lot of overs yesterday once the Aussies went after Jack Leach, as we knew they would. Um, and the result is that obviously Stokes is now feeling with me. Yeah, and, and Leach can't be feeling too too good at all. I know he's a resilient sort of a character, and you know he he, he took a pounding yesterday. They came at him um, unanimously. That was just uh, obviously a team plan just to belt him out of uh, this particular test match and perhaps knock his confidence for six, literally, uh, with what's coming up. Yeah, I mean, Jack's had a lot of sort of health issues in his life, so he is a pretty resilient character. I think he will... He will see this for what it was, but um, I think the problem for him is that he, he's probably lost the trust of, of, of the captain already because, of, as I mentioned earlier, he, he had a really good tour to India in March, came back as England's number one spinner and then wasn't picked all summer. So there's, he, he probably always, already thinks that the captain doesn't rate him and that's not going to change, obviously, after what happened yesterday. Um, but looking at the squad, they haven't really got an awful lot of alternative options. So... Uh, so they probably will have to stick with him, but um, uh, but I expect Broad and Anderson will uh, make a very rapid return to the team when we get to Adelaide next week. Yeah, I I, I kind of th- think they might, and I, I kind of think the reason why also is uh, is the nature of that game, which I think will suit Anderson. Uh, probably not as quick as he was last time he was in Australia, but very very clever. Uh, and I, I think they were working his favour. But yesterday, there was a point when you perhaps wouldn't, wouldn't have minded, Anderson, uh, when you cracked them open at 195 for five. That was your, your pathway back into the match, but that was very quickly snuffed out. Yeah, that's right. They, they had, well, they didn't help themselves as well. They dropped catches. They dropped a really easy catch in the slips. Uh, there were a couple of run-out chances that were missing. Obviously, Stokes bowled Warner on 17 with a no-ball, um, and he bowled 14 no-balls in total in that session. Um, those little details that they've uh, that they've overlooked, uh, and it's those little mistakes that are actually really going to cost them because that would have opened up Australia's underbelly earlier on. And uh, as we know, with Carey, Green, and and Head, who played brilliantly, obviously, but he was making a mm. test return. There were there was a pressure point for them to press, but they didn't help themselves. So by the time you know Head came in, he could take on and start flogging around some very tired bowlers. How do you how do you bowl fourteen no balls? Um, and, a, and a, a spell, and has so few called under today's system. That, that's, that, I found that intriguing, and I'm with Ricky Ponting on that. Uh, I, I was quite staggered about that. Yeah, he's let, uh, Ben was let down by by the technology, wasn't he? It was. Um, I don't know whether on-field umpires are just are just sort of are out of practice, or just perhaps not looking anymore. Um, and didn't tell him, didn't tell him that he was pushing the line and breaking the line, and he only found out when the wicket was taken. But to be fair to Ben, when you look at that replay of him taking the wicket, he knew, he knew he'd overstepped because he wasn't really jumping around celebrating, bowling David Warner like you would expect him to. Um, so I think he knew he'd overstepped, and you just wonder about their preparation, really. The guy's going into a test match clearly with a problem with his run-up and continually no-balling, and he even no-balled when he came back later in the day, when he must have been told that he'd... He'd been overstepping in the morning session, and he's still doing it later on. There's obviously probably a technical problem there with Ben, which uh, I suppose belies the fact that he has had a lot of preparation. Uh, he's been out of cricket mm. for a long time, uh, but also you, you do wonder about how they prepare for this game. 
So let, let's look at uh, Joe Root himself. Um, have you seen anything to suggest he's under severe early pressure and this, this is going to be a long Ashes series for him? Um, yeah, you know, he's, he's got, I won't say the weight of the nation on his shoulders, but there's a lot of expectation on Joe Root these days, of course, with that role. Did you see any uh, worrying signs so far after only two days? Well, I think today will be important uh, when England are back again. Um, if he gets another low score, then yeah, the pressure will absolutely be piling on because he's got a, he's got for his for somebody of his ability, he's got a relatively poor record in Australia. He hasn't scored a Test hundred here, so um, so focus will quick, switch quite quickly to, onto him. The one thing I will say about this England team, which is what makes a really interesting team to cover, is that they're up and down. I mean, they could have an absolute shocker here in Brisbane and go and win in Adelaide because there's that kind of team. Um, so they do have an ability to bounce back. They are quite resilient in that way. They like proving people wrong. Uh, but that does, at the moment, sound like clutching at straws, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I suppose that sort of answers my next question. Um, any chance at all they can get out of this one? Out of the gather, I don't think so. No, I don't think we're going to be uh, going out of uh, Brisbane with a, with a, with a draw. I... I, I... It always happens to England that there's there's not one here since eighty six seven and Beefy's day and 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 they drew in two thousand ten eleven and went on to win the series but uh, but no this time I mean I think this gets games one truly gone for them. Okay, Nick. Well, uh, we'll leave it at that. I, I can I can tell you're just a little disappointed first up because and you summed it up first of all actually uh, very very well when you said you. Get it Australia, um, you get them on the front foot or give them that opportunity, you find it desperately hard uh, to get back. And that, to me, is the worrying thing because here they were trialling a new captaincy set-up. Uh, they've had all the pressure on them with the Tim Payne scenario and everything going on. Justin Lang, is, uh, was he losing the dressing room? All these uh, particular scenarios. And those two days, uh, it's, all, it's all forgotten almost, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. There, there were pressure points for England to press, but they just weren't good enough to do it. And, and yeah, absolutely, they could easily have shifted the, the focus onto Langer again and to, on onto to Cummings and, and his, his, you know, his appointment and the reappointment of Steve Smith to a leadership role. There were plenty of question marks over the, over their team. But look, it's a long series. There's, there's time, and 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 the fact that Australia have a few issues in their own team suggests that it's not all going to be playing sailing from them from now on. So there is a chance for England to, to turn the tide, to push to push back. And, and like I say, they are a pretty unpredictable team. And maybe once they've been here a little bit longer um, and more tuned to the conditions, they will actually put up more of a fight and then put the pressure back on Australia. But at the moment, it feels a bit like most of the other Ashes tours I've covered and it's heading one way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I get. I know. I've toured there enough myself. I know exactly what you're going through. So, um, thanks very much for your time this morning. Let's hope you can actually get to the ground at the Adelaide Oval and and get a, fa- a flavour of being at the ground itself. Uh, thanks so much, uh, Nick, for your time this morning. Uh, travel well. Travel safe. Thank you very much. Thanks. Pleasure to talk. Cheers. Yeah. Yeah. Cheers, uh, Nick Holt. There, uh, of course, uh, the cricket writer for the Telegraph uh, does. Uh, I think probably along with the Times, the best toque. Uh, newspapers in the UK for covering cricket, uh, Nick uh, covering it for The Telegraph. Uh, Michael Atherton uh, is the chief writer for The Times, uh, but at the moment uh, the headlines are relatively negative, John, for for good reason. Uh, they are under the pump, and that to me is, is the whole thing, is that they've just got, let Australia squeeze out of a pressure situation at home, off the field as much as on.
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you nailed it, Smithy. And how does Jack Leach bowl 11 overs? You know, when you've got one for 95, Smithy, how do you give the ball to Jack Leach for 11 overs when you're going for that many? I thought that was terrible captaincy. I, I, look, I don't think he's done much right, Joe Root, to be honest. Uh, okay, when he batted, he got a, good, a decent delivery. Uh, he, he didn't want to be going in that quickly, so you know he didn't do much wrong with the bat. But uh, the problem is, you know, he has given them this opportunity. You just can't do that. Uh, he had to be very, very, um, very careful over that decision. Um, and it's almost like he said the wrong thing. You know, when he came forward, what are you going to do? Oh, uh, well, you know, we'll um, uh, actually we'll bat. I mean, I I just couldn't work that out. Now, if ever there was a scenario to break your team into a series. Uh, if you want it to go wrong on the first day, you want it to go wrong with the ball rather than the bat. If it goes horribly wrong with the bat, you can't recover. If it goes horribly wrong with the ball, you can recover with the bat. Um, you know, if you bowl badly, you can still bat well and get out of it. If you bat badly to that extent, uh, then you have to be absolutely brilliant to get out of it. And that's what they're going to have to be today. Uh, when they do get a bat, either before or just after lunch, uh, they're going to have a massive deficit. They're going to forget about that. They've just got to occupy the crease for a long period of time and do what Australia did to them, cook them in the heat if they can, uh, and, and and just make them uh, really work hard so their energy resources, etc., are used up a wee bit. But at the moment, man, it, it's, just, it, it, it's awful. Yeah, yeah. And what about that knock from Travis Head, Smithy? Coming into the test, they said him or Usman Kawaja, that was up for grabs, and Travis Head got the nod, and... First person ever to score a, cent- a century in a session at the Gabba. That was quite a remarkable knock. Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't have realised that because it's such a batting-friendly pitch when it's on. I would have thought that might have been done in the past before. So that is itself a staggering achievement. And they have answered themselves a question because that was one of the big ones. Who's going to bat at number five in this particular summer? Well, Travis Head is going to. Uh, so the, he cemented his spot there. Another question mark answered for Australia in just the second day of the Test match. Uh, Kerry looked okay, looked good with the gloves, didn't have to do anything exceptional, but they'll give him time to settle into the role, and he's a good enough player that he will score Test 100. So uh, all of a sudden, um, you know, uh, they're back. They're back in a a very big way. Uh, Shane, annoying, really, really annoying. I mean, some of his antics, particularly when he's leaving the ball, uh, uh, I find them really frustrating, but I I think he does that on purpose. I I think it's part of his game to just really make people uh, cross with him, angry with him in, in some way, that, and that deflects from the, the job at hand. But uh, he's frustrating to watch. Steve Smith didn't really get it, see him get going uh, yesterday. He will. There's so many things Australia have done right, um, but they could still do even better. That's the that's the, uh, the, the one that worries me anyway, John, at the moment. Uh, shall we, uh, we'll take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, uh, there's another couple of issues that we can talk through as well. And then, of course, uh, around uh, 11.30, you have the chance to stump. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is 11.22 here on SENZ. Uh, three-way conversation coming up here between myself, uh, John Day and uh, Trudy Nelson. And uh, Trudy, uh, I think we'll start with you. Uh, we've been uh, asking our uh, listeners this morning for their feedback on their team of the year and their individual of the year. Um, and and uh, I think, by and large, the consensus would be the women's uh, Black Fern Sevens and Lisa Carrington. Uh, you've been reading bulletins uh, furiously for the last uh, five months. Uh, what's been your highlight? 
Well, thank you for asking me, and I've been loving getting hearing everybody's takes. Um, I'd have to agree on Lisa Carrington. I was going to choose Ajaz Patel after that chat this morning um, because he just seemed so wonderfully humble and down-to-earth and clever and lovely. But no, Lisa Carrington, for me, those shoulders, the way she holds herself, her performance, obviously, her staying power. She's, I've met her in person. I was very lucky to meet her at a beef and lamb event a few years ago. She's just an all-round good sort. She's got a lovely dog that she puts on the telly. She's got a nice mm. other half. You know, she's got it all going on. So she's a queen, Lisa Carrington, for me, for individual. So I'm on mm. everybody else's bandwagon. Um, and sports team of the year. Well, um, I've always been a cricket fan, so ups and downs or whatever, I'll always just stay with my team. And I have always been a Black Caps fan since, well, when I used to watch you behind the wicket, Smithy, and I was on the yeah. stand, uh, on the concrete stands getting piles at, at Eden Park and getting, you know, people <laughs> throw beer cups everywhere and you get up to go to the toilet and get all sorts of interesting responses. But, you know, Black Caps for me, always, um, I'm a big cricket fan, always have been, always will be. And the fact that they followed me on Twitter recently, well, not recently, it was about a year or two ago, that was like a life highlight. <laughs> oh, that's great, Trudy. I appreciate that. I, I'm, I'm also uh, very appreciative of the fact that, that you got piles while you were watching me play cricket. That was wonderful. Cool, uh, I actually answered, you got piles, I got heaps. Heaps <laughs> of abuse. People used to pay 30 bucks to get in to abuse us back in the day, so that was uh, quite intriguing. Uh, John, across to you now, John. Um, and Okay, fins up maybe, but not this year, I don't think. No, the fins were down. And I'm surprised you haven't uh, mentioned Hawks Bay maybe for the Renfield Shield reign as being the best team of the year. No, not quite. If they'd oh. won maybe the Premiership as well, they'd be in the conversation because mm. a bloody good year from the Magpies and that hurt losing that Shield game. But um, I think it is down to three, the big three in terms of teams that we've mentioned today. Black Caps winning the World Test Championship making the T20 World Cup final, an outstanding year from them. The Blackfern Sevens just were the best team at the Olympics, uh, recognised globally as being the best team as well. And then the rowing eight, which Jordan Oppett uh, on the panel today chose as her best team uh, if mm. she was a Halberg judge. So I think those are definitely the three finalists. And it's really hard for me. I, I put, the I think, the men's eight to the side. I think it was the surprise that they won and all the history behind it, which made it, so fantastic, um, but I'm not sure about um, how the depth of men's eight rowing, whether it's that deep. Um, it's a tremendous achievement, but I think cricket um, and women's sevens, there's a lot more competition around the world. So for me, it's those two. And I think winning the World Test Championship sits above everything for me, cricket. Uh, Smithy, it's the pinnacle of cricket. It's the, it's the World Championship. So it's the pinnacle event of the pinnacle of the sport, and the Black Caps did it. And they added to that making a final of a T20 World Cup. So for me, the Black Caps are my team of the year, and I agree with Trudy. It's 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 Lisa Carrington. It's the Golden Guns, three gold medals at a single Olympics, and to put herself into four boats, to dare to dream of four, and to put yourself out there um, and win three is just tremendous. And I, I don't see anyone touching her, actually. I don't really have anyone close in second place, Smithy. So Lisa Carrington and the Black Caps for me. What about you? Okay, here we go, and uh, I don't have to answer to this much more because I've only got uh, 34 minutes left in my uh, broadcasting career this side of Christmas, so I don't have to cough it much. So here, here I go on this. I I'm going to say, without a doubt, Ajaz Patel is uh, my outstanding uh, performance of the year, um, and I say this because I know uh, my background in the sport, how hard it is to do. Um, not only that, that's on any playing surface, any playing surface. Uh, I, I, I appreciate Lisa Carrington, 
um, and I'm probably guilty of taking her success for granted because it's been so ongoing. And I think any year she's a standout, any particular year she's a standout, and this was absolutely uh, no exception to that. But this is one off. This thing here, three times in history, in 140-something years of cricket history, this is so hard to do. Not only that, he bowled out India. He bowled out India in India. That is the That, to me, is the deciding factor. This little Kiwi guy, born in India, who has had very little experience playing in those conditions. He was marvelling at the opportunity to play at that big ground in Waikiki that he used to go past as a kid. All of a sudden, he's out there being a superstar in that environment. It is, for me, the individual story and performance of the year, without doubt, Ajaz Patel. And uh, here we go again. Uh, I'm also going to uh, cop this. Uh, I think the Black Caps, uh, to win the World Test Championship, was very, very good. Absolutely outstanding. Um, you know, uh, but not... Not so much uh, a one-off thing there, but uh, you know they've accumulated points. They've had a lot of things in their favour um, to get to that point, but they had to win it. And on a neutral ground, they won it with conditions in their favour, but they were they were the better side. So to be the World Test champion and finally get to the top of the ladder after all those years of trying in all three disciplines of the game, I think that was an outstanding achievement. Uh, and then to back it up, to prove it was no fluke, uh, to go to the World T20 final, um, knocking over India again out of that competition, knocking out England, the favourites, and then getting there, um, I, I think was great. Having won, If they'd won it, it would have been super. But if I look at the year performance, the year performance, I'm giving it a, as a cricketing double. And uh, I'm prepared to, uh, to sit here and be shot down on that. But I simply do. And the, the reason why I'm not giving it to the women's sevens, and I admire them so much, they're fantastic. They are a great image for sport. A uh, great image for women in sport. Uh, they are so good. But there again, like Carrington, I kind of expected they were going to win. It, was an absolute, it wasn't an absolute standout surprise to me. They're that damn good. Um, so uh, me, uh, so uh, for me, it's cricket, cricket all the way. And I hope it's reflected at some high level in that. Yeah, fair enough, Smithy. Um, what about a cricketing treble then? Coach of the year, Gary Steed. Yeah, Gary Stead for me. Um, I, I think uh, Gary Stead's taken them to those things uh, and uh, selected the side pretty well. So uh, I'm uh, I'm going to throw Gary Stead in the mix there and uh, throw the open lines open. Uh, get off the subject very quickly and avoid any response from anybody. Um, and say, look, hey, look, come in and, and try and stump me for the last time. Please get on the line. Uh, 0800 150811. Uh, get 50 bucks worth of uh, vouchers from the TAB to kickstart your punting weekend. Uh, dial that number now, uh, but in the meantime, it is Trudy uh, with her honest reflections and now her news. Job. Here you go, last opportunity to get stumped by Smithy before he goes on a well-earned break. Of course, you win 50 bucks from the TAB and Sleep Drops Daytime Revive, New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. We head down to the capital. where Scott is waiting. First in line today, Scott, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks, JD. How are you going? Yeah, very well. How's the weather in Wellington in summer? Good, as usual? Yeah, it's it's good on a good day. It's a bit overcast today, but it's warm. It's not raining, which is positive after the last sort of week or so. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Awesome. All right, mate, you know how this game works. Three sporting categories. You choose one, you get three questions right, you win. But as soon as you get one wrong, you know what happens. So, Scott, your categories today are basketball, cricket and boxing. Which one of those think do you think gives you the best chance of winning? 
Oh, I think since it's the last go for the year, I'll t- I have a crack at uh, cricket. Oh, <laughs> oh, brave man. I love it. I love it. All right, let's go. think Smithy has stumped someone every time someone has chosen cricket, so we'll see what happens here. All right, Scott, question number one. On the opening day of the Ashes in 2006, it started with a shocking delivery at the Gabba. Which English bowler delivered the ball to second slip? It's been replayed a hell of a lot if you've watched the Ashes over the last two or three days. It's a notorious delivery. It was very, very wide. I haven't been able to watch too much of it, to be honest, so I haven't actually seen it. Oh, the only one I could think of would be Jimmy Anderson. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy, stumping time. Yeah, it is stumping time, unfortunately. Um, sorry to do this to you, but it was Steve Harmison. Uh, he bowled the ball directly to second slip where uh, Andrew Fluntoff very casually caught it and threw it to gully. It was quite like it never happened. It was <laughs> unbelievably funny and unbelievably naturally accepted by Freddie Flintoff, but yeah, it was Harmison, uh, the uh, really infamous delivery, it was a shocker. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Merry Christmas, Scott, you can tell your friends and your family you got stumped by Smithy for Christmas. Cheers, guys, have a good Christmas. You too, mate. And from one Scott to another, Scott from Papamoa, how are you, mate? Yeah, good, thanks, yeah. Yeah, great. Welcome into the quiz. I don't think we've had you on before. How's your cricket knowledge? Um, oh, I, I do love cricket. Really love it. But yeah, I don't know. Current, currently, like in the Ashes, probably good. But I don't know about past sort of stuff. But we'll uh, see I see. What happens. Well, we can switch categories if you want boxing or basketball. No, South Africa. All right. I like that. I like that. Good man. All right. Question number two. Everyone knows, or they should know, that Sachin Tendulkar holds the record for the most test centuries with 51. Who sits in second place behind him? Um, Been a lot of good batsmen over the years, haven't there? Test cricket. Yeah. Um, Is it Bradman? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Don't think Bradman quite played enough cricket, Smithy, to get up there with his amount of centuries. He's probably got a better strike rate than anyone, or does. Uh, but he's not yeah, second I, on the I, list behind Tendulkar. I totally agree. I, I don't know this one for sure. I'm just going on really classy batsmen. It will have to be a modern-day batsman for me, um, not going back to the to the arc. So I would be, I'd be, I'd be chucking in Brian Lara. One of the worst things... I have ever seen done on a cricket field. No, Jacques Callas. 45 test centuries for Jacques Callas and Ricky Ponting in third with 41, which means you're still alive, Scott. One last question to get all the goodies. I'll restart the music. Yeah. And I'll give you the last question. Ajaz Patel's 10-wicket haul will live long in the memory. Who are the other two cricketers to have achieved the feat in a 144-year history of test cricket? Um, Tumblay. Yes. Mm-hmm. And is it Laker? Just a couple of chips down the wicket, 
right in the slot and away it goes. There you go, Scott. Well done, mate. 50 bucks in the TB and some Sleep Drops Daytime Revive. All ages, lifestyle stages and sleeping challenges. Read the label. Take as directed. Sleep Drops Auckland. Well done, mate. Oh, awesome. Sweet. I had to put some multis up this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you, Scott. Have a great Christmas, mate. Thanks very much uh, for listening yeah. uh, and uh, taking part uh, in the quiz. Uh, and, and have a great break, mate. Whatever you're doing, uh, enjoy it. And Papamoa, what a great part of the world to have summer, eh? Yeah, that's awesome. It's such a wicked day here today. So, yeah, thanks for that. Cheers, Smithy. Yeah, good on you. Ha- have a good one, Scott. Um, we'll be back very shortly. Stay on the line, by the way. Brian will get your details. And, and also, uh, we'll be back very shortly with uh, the doyen of harness racing in this country, I believe. And Mick Guerin, very shortly. On this Friday, and that uh, is exactly the right time to be joining this bloke, uh, Mick Guerin, uh, to talk about the harness racing side of things. Uh, you can be uh, updated with that uh, on hrnz.co.nz. If you want to buy a horse or find out anything about it, that is a website you go to. Mick, good morning to you. Busy uh, night tonight. The two uh, glamour meetings at uh, headquarters uh, there in Auckland and, of course, at Addington down in Christchurch. And then Methvin. Grass on Sunday. Good morning, mate. Yeah, morning, Smithy. Hope you're well, mate. Hope all the SENZ listeners are enjoying some nice weather. I don't know what it's like in the rest of the country, but it's nice in Auckland, Smithy, and that's all I really care about at the moment. Um, I tell you what's going to happen this weekend on the harness racing front. It's going to be fun, and I think racing should be fun, because for most people, it's not their business. It's what they do for some entertainment. As you mentioned... Uh, really cool racing tonight at Alexandra Park and Addington. And then Sunday on the grass at Methven, hopefully the weather holds together there. They've got two of their bigger races for the year. And it's something a bit different. They're called the Green Miles. So they're obviously mile races, but proper horses like Oscar Bonavina and Classy Brigade, you know, good group one horses are turning up there. And sandwiched in between that, Smithy, on Saturday night, is the Inter-Dominions coming out of Menangle in Sydney, which hasn't had as big a, as usual, Kiwi flavour to it. But it's still been an awful lot of fun. And it's one of those late-night sort of things where if you finish watching the cricket or you finish watching the gallops and you, you might be having a nice glass of wine if you're that way inclined, um, the harness mm-hmm. racing goes deep into the night there. So it's going to be a lot of fun, Smithy. And they're no small deal, the Inter-Dominions. So looking forward to both of those. But I think lots of harness racing fans looking forward to Methven on the grass. It's one of those beloved meetings that... Uh, everybody seems to, to really enjoy. What I like is uh, this time of the year for harness racing down south in particular, so well populated, so well received when it goes to uh, some of those country meetings, which I know uh, are under pressure to, to maintain their venues. But when you see the crowds and the special occasion and the joy that it brings and the people coming in on course, I don't see why. I mean, it's just a, a feature. Look, I think Harness Racing New Zealand needed to work out how many tracks they could have in the country without being ridiculous, because if you have too many tracks, then people are travelling every week. I think they've got the balance right, but one track that was never in danger of being closed was Methven. So I I think, Mm. Smitty, because most of the the grass tracks also have gallopers on them, it it digs them up a little bit. The gallopers obviously travel at a very high speed, and they then tend to cut the tracks up. Methven's a track that has no galloping on it. 
and it's very smooth for that reason. So the harness racing people love going there. It's in the centre of Mid Canterbury, which obviously is a very strong harness racing place. And horses like Oscar Bonavina don't turn up at these tracks very often. He's at least as good as most of the other top 10 trotters in the country, not in the top five. So he'll be worth watching. If you're not, you can't be bothered waiting that long for some action. Alexander Park's mm-hmm. got a beautiful race tonight, Smithy. Race 7 at 8.30. Better Twist is our champion, Philly. Stylish Memphis is our most underrated mare. And Bella Montana might be our best mare, but she hasn't won a race for 22 months because she had injuries. And when she does race, she tends to race copy that and those horses in open class. So they're all in the same race. And I reckon Bella Montana, this is race seven, number six at the park tonight, gets her a chance to go forward in a race where a couple of the other favourites might go back. So just give her a sneaky each-way chance tonight. A um, couple of good things around the country. I think race eight tonight, Smithy Bolt for Brilliance, who hasn't won a race since the Jewels, but raced against the big guns during Cup Week. He's back on his home track. I think he's winning tonight at Alexandra Park. And I think Payson Pride, whose form looks terrible, but nothing's gone right for him for ages. He'll rock around at Addington tonight, and he's only short. He's $1.60, but you're worth adding him to your multi-bets because he'll be winning too. So for those who like a bit of a multi-smithy on a Friday night, bolt for brilliance, maybe each way, Bella Montana, and Payson Pride might add to the account for the big gallops meetings tomorrow, tomorrow night at Manangle, and of course, Methven on Sunday. Busy weekend. I know you gave yourself the weekend off. Uh, uh, what about this weekend? Are you back on deck in full capacity, Mick? Mate, looking forward to it. Tomorrow morning from 8 o'clock, the mail run with myself and Louis Herman Watt is in charge of these things. Mate, huge, huge meeting at Tarapa to talk about. It's massive because some of the good racing from Trenton last week, which was abandoned, comes to Tarapa. We, we should have three hours tomorrow. And it's there's so many things to talk about. We'll also talk about the Inter-Dominions and a little bit about the harness. And then we'll wrap the Inter-Dominions and talk harness on Sunday. That's from noon on SCNZ on Trot's Talk, courtesy of Harness Racing New Zealand. So if all this information is a little bit too much for you, compartmentalise it. Tonight, good racing. Tomorrow, huge racing. We'll wrap it and talk more and try and find you a, a winner on SCNZ at noon on Sunday with Trot's Talk. Mick Guerin, thank you very much. Uh, enjoy the weekend. I shall enjoy listening to you, and I shall be richer for it, I'm sure. Uh, have a great well, one, mate. Looking forward, have a really good one. We're looking forward, Smithy, to getting you on our galloping show, too. Don't forget, you have to come on way in one day, because we need the yep. numbers. We want the audience numbers, and we got, want the great Smithy on there. And you can tell your favourite yep. punting stories, and you can tell your favourite cricket stories. We'll just give you a microphone for about 57 minutes, but then you can enjoy yourself. Yeah, uh, well, I, I'm booked. I'm booked. I'm in. You find the day. I'll, I'll be up there. Oh, no, I will. Well, I promise. Uh, it, yeah, I got to honour my commitments, and I'll be there, mate. No, no problem at all, Mick. Well, have a great weekend. Well, Thank you. Looking forward to it, brother. Cheers, mate. Cheers good on you, man. It is 11:49 here on SENZ. Uh, when we come back, um, just uh, a chance to say goodbye. Uh, from my point of view, uh, mention a couple of little things, uh, um, a little special things coming up, and uh, my final check-in with. Staffy for this, the calendar year.